Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Good morning. Hey, good morning, guys. How you doing? Good morning, folks. Hey, good morning, guys. Good morning, guys. Big fan of the show. It's Jeremy White and Joe DiBiase. Good morning, Jeremy and Joe. Hello there. Hey, you guys! Hey, guys. Love the show. Big fans. Over probably 20 years. Hey, guys. How you doing today? Hey, guys. How you doing? Hey, how you doing? Call or text WGR at 803-0550 or post on X at WGR 550 and get connected to Jeremy and Joe now. Good morning. Friday morning. We'll lead you into the weekend here. It's pretty nice out. It's pretty nice out. Low 40s, clear. It's been a pretty nice week for the weather. The uh, the groundhog might have been onto something when he said spring was coming a little bit early. Good morning. Jody Biasi, Sal Capaccio, Jeremy White is off today. He'll also be off on Monday. And Sal alerted me right before we got going here to this. Uh, this how do we pronounce this guy's name? Rempy? Remp? Rempy, I believe. I believe it's Rempy. Yeah, I'm listening to the audio, and it's Rempy, Rempy. and Bastion, right? Rempy and Bastion. Yeah, you would think it's like a... Uh, mm-hmm. like a, like a Snake Bastion. Know, an old Revolutionary War uh, drama series with names like that. <laughs> so, this is a hit from last night morning. We're going we're gonna to open with some hockey here. We'll get some football along the way. We've got Kyle Krabs at 8 a.m. from... Uh, the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast with uh, Joe Marino. Uh, he'll join us at 8. You talk a little bit about he had a show recently about like the perfect free agent moves for each team and had an mm. interesting one for the Bills. So Plus draft stuff from Kyle because he's good with that and also does Locked On Dolphins. So you get to a lot with him. But all right, so this hit, Sal, why, why, why did it catch your attention last night in this Rangers-Devils game? Caught my attention this morning because I, I ran across a tweet from Ryan Whitney, actually. And Ryan Whitney said in his tweet, basically, let's stop with talking about avoidable hits. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, this guy. So, apparently, this guy, Rempe, just to – I don't know much about him. But from what I'm reading about him is he's a he's a call-up from the AHL. Yeah. And he literally – this was his only shift. It was his, this was the only shift that he had. Joe, he's on the ice for 10 seconds before this happened. Okay. And he's a fourth liner and he's a, he's a, he's a checking line guy. That's what he is. Yep. Not now. I I don't, I'm not going to put the word goon on him. Like, I don't think that's what this is anymore. Right. This is a guy who's a physical player. We don't really have those kinds of guys. And I don't think that's what he is. Mm -hmm. He's a fourth line checker. He's a big physical guy. And apparently 
Ryan Whitney, what he said was, and what, I'll read it to you. He said, so a fourth-line call-up shouldn't hit someone? His number one job because it's avoidable? Mm-hmm. Get the bleep out of here. And the question is, on this hit, and we can walk through it and talk about it, okay, maybe he could have avoided him, but he's allowed to hit him. You don't have to avoid him just because it's okay to hit somebody. Mm-hmm. He wound up hitting him. He's super big. Bastion's smaller. His yeah. shoulder hit Bastion's head, head, and then Bastion was bleeding, and uh, Rempe got a five-minute major and a game misconduct. Yeah. He is, by the way, you mentioned he's big. He is 6'9". Like, he there is... I, I think that might be... How how big was Tyler Myers? It's been a long time. 6'8", right? Like, this guy might be the tallest player in the league now, at least, mm-hmm. you know, while he's being called up. I did know about him... Not by name. I knew there was a giant call-up guy from the Rangers who in the stadium series the other day against the Islanders, he had his first NHL fight, and it was like the mic'd-up moment was really cool. Like, Matt Martin, like, you want it? Like, you want this to be your first fight? And he's like, yeah. And then they went at it, and it was a really good fight um, and whatnot. And you're like, yeah, Goon. I don't know. Like, this is as close as it gets now. Okay. He's, he's got a ton of penalty minutes in the AHL and not yep. much production. So I don't want to call him just an outright goon either. He has 12 minutes of NHL or 12 NHL penalty minutes and only nine minutes of ice time. So that's, <laughs> okay. that's pretty good. Well, limited, limited well that's because of last night probably, right? Last, is that because of last night or was that before last night? Well, he probably, got in that yeah. fight in the stadium series too. So, right, like small okay. sample there. So, like, Ryan Whitney's question here. Is Ryan Whitney anywhere, by the way? Former NHLer. Uh, oh, Spit and Chicklets podcast. Um, he is... I think he's kind of making the claim here that, like, what are you supposed to do, right? Like, is there anything right. this guy is really allowed to do if he's going to get tossed for this? So, so right. So I went and I looked at the comments from Ryan Whitney's tweet. I think most comments are kind of agreeing with him. There are a lot of people pushing back, like, are you kidding me, dude? Like, this is ridiculous. Like, look what he, he deserves, 10 games, 15 games for this. I also saw our buddy Carlo Koliakovo tweeted about this Mm -hmm. and he just wrote how many games meaning like he probably thinks this is a hit that deserves a suspension here's the issue i have i just don't know anymore because of this stuff it is i know it's on a completely different level it's what is a catch what is an illegal hit in hockey joe then i thought about okay in, in in my world of the sport i cover on a daily basis i love hockey i watch hockey all the time go to sabers games but i have to cover these same kinds of things mm-hmm. when a safety hits a wide receiver. And we talk all the time about whether it was avoidable, not avoidable. Uh, Jor- J- Jordan Poyer had one earlier this year. Mm-hmm. Like, what is he supposed to do? What game was that? Was that Washington? Maybe I Ooh. couldn't remember. Yeah, it was early, though, wasn't it? It was early in yeah, the season. Yeah, it was Washington, maybe. Yeah. But do you remember where, like, what is he supposed No, it, it was Jacksonville in London. It was a huge swing. It was a huge play. Do you remember that? Okay, right? Yeah. And like why? Like I don't know what Jordan Poyer's supposed to do on that play. The player he hit was bending down at the time, right. and Poyer's going to the ball. Now, Rempe's not going to the puck, but he's skating. And I think if he hits, I guess this is the way I would judge. If he doesn't hit his head, are we questioning anything here? No, it's no, it's all about all about head contact. Right, one hundred. Correct. Yeah. So then the question is, was anything with the head contact avoidable or illegal? Or was it just he happened to hit his head, unfortunately? I, That's yeah. the question you have to ask, I think. I, th- I think so. I think, though, the way they've kind of teed it up nowadays 
Um, maybe the NHL's not as cut and dry as the NFL is on this. The NFL's very much become, you know, if you hit the head, even if you were trying to avoid it or whatnot, whatever, you hit the head. That That's the thing. You can't do that under any circumstance. Penalty. And I think the NHL has slowly become that, where I intent might not be there, and yeah, it's tough. Like, it's a super fast game. They're moving 20 miles per hour, but you just can't hit the head, no matter what. And I think that makes, you know, that there's a point to be made. That's <laughs> part of the reason that you don't have guys like this Matthew Rempe in the league anymore, 6'8", mm-hmm. 240, and he's got 22 points in the AHL in two seasons, but 160 penalty minutes. I, maybe there's rules like this, or rulings like this, that keep a guy like that out of the sport and keep it more speed and skill. Is we're not, I don't, like, there's tough, like, there's nothing much you can do, but we're not just going to let you come in here and start hitting people in the head because you're tall. I just think it's a really tough ask, and I, I I'm not disagreeing. That's how they have adjudicated this, yeah. right? That's what we see. It's happening in football too, right? That's that is exactly right in football, Joe. Which is the same thing with the Jordan Poyer hit, and we see it every single week somewhere mm. in the league. We say, what is he supposed to do? That is the question we have, and then the league is like, I don't know what you're supposed to do. Just don't hit him in the head. Yeah. Like really, that's their answer. Just don't hit him in the head. Yeah, per- and, and I get it. Yeah. I understand why they do that, but the. It is such a tough onus on these guys, and they are flying so fast. I mean, yeah. at that brief moment to avoid him, I, I, you could, I guess, someone could watch this video and say Rempe could have moved some way to avoid the head. I think that's tough, and you could think, oh, you know, that's what he does. He's a physical guy. I just think it's tough. He he didn't extend his arm. He didn't, like, lean into him. Yeah. He literally took his elbow and put it in. He tucked his elbow in, Joe. Look at it. He almost yeah, kind of knew he was going to hit his head and said, I'm not going to have my elbow out. Yeah. No, he did. I, I think then, like, what does a coach tell him? What does the, a league person tell him about this play? Because, right, if I'm if I'm Rempe, again, this, this fourth liner for the uh, Rangers just got called up and got tossed last night for this hit, he, he tucks his elbow. He doesn't. Doesn't charge him like he glides into him. He doesn't, you know, take the stride, stride, stride hit. He he stops right before. Um, he doesn't leave the ground. Like r- really, it's a pretty technically sound hit. I think the only thing you can tell him if you're a coach is you can't deliver that hit in today's NHL. What you have to do is you have to slow up and you have to bo- you have to stick your butt out into him, or you just have to kind of almost posterize him or uh, post him up and take the puck because the guy is the guy's kind of losing the puck there and this is one where I think the league would tell him you don't care about the puck here you just want to hit the guy and even if you hit him perfectly or hit him as well as you could you want to hit the guy and you're not going to survive in today's league that way you have to play the puck there because you could have the puck. He could have stolen the puck away, but his intent, he wanted to make the hit. And I'm sure he probably thinks that's his gateway to getting in the league, which is going to be a tough balance for him individually. But that would be what I would tell him is you just, you know, you'll never be able to make that hit. You're too big to do it, and you're going to have to, you're going to, have to find a different way to play yep. the game where you're focusing on the puck there, not the player. I'll give you something else I didn't know until I looked this up. 
Bastion's actually 6'4". He's not super small. Oh, that's pretty. That's crazy. He's a tall dude. Because he looks small in this clip. Right. <laughs> that's how big this dude is. Yeah, I know. Is. Right? Yeah, Holy no, Nathan cow. Nathan Bastion. Yeah. I think I'm saying his name right. I don't know if it's Bastion or not. But I don't know if I'm saying Rempy right. Are we sure? Uh, I think I am are, just based are. on the way that the, the broadcast did. I, I watched the, the play-by-play. You that's, never know, though. Right. Talinder was Talinder for six years before we finally had that, uh, <laughs> had that corrected. You never know with these guys. No, that's right. And by the way, I'm thinking also, it is just yesterday we talked a lot about the brawl, and that was Drury, and this is Drury's team that he plays for, right? It's um, mm-hmm. just a little bit coincidental here, I guess. You know, this is Drury's team. Drury, and I guess from what I'm reading, I'm reading some Rangers fans saying they have – Several of these kinds of guys, like in the organization that they're mm-hmm. trying to, you know, that we'll see. Like, do they play? Do they not? But th- some Ranger fans are like, yeah, like they've kind of built a team that has some of these guys now. Yeah. Well, let's let's talk about that for a moment because I, I actually had this written down to get to a little bit later because I was talking to our boss about this yesterday, just kind of like off, off to the side, like about uh, you know Tom Wilson, who I, like maybe mm-hmm. he gets traded uh, from the Capitals, and kind of the way the Panthers are. The Panthers are like this too. Like you mentioned the Rangers have more size and toughness than a lot of the top teams in recent years and Florida is kind of the same thing. That they might be more so because their their top players like of course Matthew Kachuk are like that. Um and a couple of their defensemen too. But there is maybe this little little bit of resurgence on a couple of top teams for Mm-hmm. That type of player. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Leafs went out and signed Ryan Reeves. I don't think it's helping them at all. He's actually also not doing all the stuff he's supposed to do. He goes out the other night to, you know, what, defend their honor after that cross-checking incident with Morgan Riley with 10 seconds to go, and he doesn't do anything. So, uh, you know, whatever. But I I was thinking about that with the Sabres this week, too, where I am never into that type of idea. Like, just give me as much speed and skill as possible, and if I have enough of it, you know, I'll figure out the fourth line stuff. I'll figure out the that element of it later. I think that's easier to get. That's easier to replace. But I'm at a point now, Sal, where especially listening to, man, like uh, us yesterday and listening to Bulldog and Nate on you know, taking calls on, like, what you miss the most and the brawl anniversary where I am just so, I'm so missing, I'm missing them being a great team, missing the the days where they were in the playoffs, what it felt like to care, the building being as full and energetic as possible. I tweeted the other day during that Canadiens game, which was really chippy, that this this is a game where I miss a Patrick Coletta. Just because he was going to get your heart racing, right? Like, he was going to start something. He was going to throw a hit. Guys were going to be chasing him around. You were going to have a, a just, you were going to care about the game more because he was in it. Where I'm at a point now where I'm just like throwing my hands up and saying, like, hey, if you want to go build this team around these top players now and just go get six, five guys that can hit and can, you know, n- not get pushed around. Even now, even I'm at a point now where, like, whatever, try it, because I'll try anything at this point. Joe, Joe, have you become the caller that we get pretty regularly of, they're just not tough enough, go get a bunch of guys who you know, are just going to go check everybody? I'm The plumbers? Go get some plumbers? <laughs> I yeah, am closer. You become that guy. I am closer to being that guy than I ever have in my entire life. Yeah. I'm I'm close. I, I I don't disagree that they need a little bit more of that. I think the team recognizes that, Joe. Look at the guys they actually acquired. Now, I'm not sitting here and saying that this is a these are great players they brought in, but 
let's at least look at how they've approached it, which is Jordan Greenway, Riley Stillman, right? I mean, like, they brought guys in who, okay, and I think Stillman was this guy, right? Like, he's a pretty physical guy. Um, they, they, they're they not going out and getting, like, you know, Zidane Chara in his prime, but they mm-hmm. brought in guys who can be a little more physical because I think even Kevin Adams has recognized that. They need some of that. They have this skill. They have it. But, but I don't know where you fit these players anymore in today's league because you also have to remember, and Jordan Greenway has acclimated himself, that's fine, just fine. Um, this is not a Rempe we're talking about, I guess. But I think that right. it's a very tough ask to put a piece of the puzzle because of how you have to play and where do you have room for those guys to play how many minutes a night, you know, because the other team's also going to have a lot of skill in the way the game is played today. Yeah. No, you're. they are – they have – like Eric Robinson maybe was another Eric move Robinson, with this in yes, mind a little bit. Yes. They are definitely like Greenway's a little bit more of an investment. That's a that's a top nine guy. That's a second round pick you gave up. He's under contract. Um the rest of them are like, you know, fringe roster guys, which is kind of the way I would have at the time liked to have seen them do things. I don't know. I <clears throat> I don't want to imply that's the reason they're not winning. I think there's a lot of reasons that they are not winning. I mean, it's just right, like, give me a pulse, you know? When these games, I think it can be easy to get sucked into this type of thinking when the games don't have a lot of stakes and when you don't think, when you know they don't have as much stakes and you know you don't have that type of playoff intensity as we get into get into the spring months here i i think i think you can you can easily think well they don't care either right because you don't you don't care as much so every little thing you're looking for where oh look uh tage is gliding there or uh you know uh, why isn't why isn't uh casey middlestat mad that that just happened in front of the net like because you know we don't what would what do we miss I heard it yesterday all the time, missing the, the, the how much you would hate the other team just on that given night because you got too close to our goaltender. And then you're watching the game and you want to climb over the glass and you want to defend you know Ryan Miller's honor in that way. And you don't see that in these February, March, April games when you're mm-hmm. when you're ten points out. I just I don't know though if that is the roster or if that's just you know, the team is well, where it's been 10 times already. I, I do think this reminds me a lot of in football, and I've been saying this for many years, and we, we're seeing it a lot, Joe, where it is a very cyclical game, right, where we've eliminated a lot of the kinds of stuff we've been talking about. So now it's just this really skilled game. It's super fast. There's mm-hmm. not a lot of hitting. And what you're talking about is kind of going back. Teams are, okay, well, wait a minute. How do I counter that? Well, how about if I... Kind of push those kinds of guys around a little bit. Let's see what they're made of. And you're seeing a team like the Rangers that looks like are starting to do that a little bit here. So I do think you're going to have a little bit of that. And I, I do think the Sabres in some respects have to have something to be able to counter that. I think the issue is they're wrestling with if they do that, how, how, how do those guys play? Where do they play? Because they have this is a skilled game and it's a really tough piece. But I agree that we are coming back to that a little bit, and you've mentioned it. Some of these top teams even are having guys on the roster who are a little bit more physical and not afraid to go after it a little bit. Yeah, you can you can really do it both ways. I'm looking now at a, a chart at EliteProspects.com. Average size 
by team, and you can you can win a bunch of different ways. Colorado is the second leading Stanley Cup favorite, and they're the third smallest team in the league. And Edmonton mm-hmm. is the Stanley Cup favorite, and they're the third biggest team in the league. So <laughs> there you go. You, yeah. you can kind of have it. Uh, you can well, go both go both ways. Okay, but um, uh, actually, we if. There's somebody I think we had a call here from Dell who I think mm-hmm. is talking about the difference between size and physicality, right? You want to yeah. take that because I think that's a good point there. I'll I'll, I'll hit it here, Dell. Go ahead. You're on WGR. Yeah, yeah. I just want to draw back uh, to the days where we had Michael Pekka, and he used to lay yeah. people out all over the ice all the time. And I wouldn't say he was necessarily considered a big guy, and uh, but he brought a physicality to his game and an intensity. But you do sort of have to have a couple of those players to support him because he draws a crowd when you do something like that, right? And so you need somebody just, you know, to, to protect your players when a scrum happens. Um, going to the hit, I wonder whether on that hit, um, going back to this hit where the guy should get suspended, yep. should not yep. get suspended or whatever with Rangers, um, would that same justice be applied in the AHL where he just came from? With, in the AHL, would that have been considered, oh, that's a, that's a penalty in a game? And if, in junior, the same thing? Because, you know, these players are, are like training and learning their craft going through these levels of play. And then you get to the NHL, do all the rules suddenly change? I, 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 is, why are you asking that they would differentiate? I guess. Why am I asking to differentiate? Well, just because, you know, you've got comments from ex-NHL players like, what are you supposed to do there? And what do you, mm-hmm. like, like your instincts of hockey, when you talk about players, like you're playing on instincts. And you, you're taught that through training. Your instincts sort of rely on your training. So if you've been trained that, you know, this is, you finish a check, you, 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 you know, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter that he doesn't have the puck anymore. He's just played the puck, you finish your check. Yeah. But now it's like, no, you fight when you get to the NHL, no, you now you don't finish your check. You had to do that to get there, and now, but now you don't do that. Now you get there. You well, see what I'm saying, I that's what that's I. Much I don't know. I don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks, Del. I don't know what is being coached at those levels where, you know, <clears throat> I I can guarantee you, once upon a time, that was being told to players, hey, finish your check there. I don't know. I think you there might be may, may, maybe most coaches now even maybe all of them maybe I don't know what the number is would tell him. You gotta slow up, just body him out of the picture, and you have the puck now. That's what you want to do. That that that's the play, especially when, like you can say, you know, finish your check, and like that's what you you want that physicality, and you did all the things right when it came to hitting him. You also have to assume that the referee is not going to be able to compute all of that in point two seconds because of how fast the game is going. If you hit a guy and he's laying on the ice bleeding, like this Devils player was, you're not going to get the benefit of the doubt on anything. You're going to get a penalty. I, th- I think almost just by result, right? Like, mm-hmm. it, let's face it, refereeing is is imperfect. I I know this gets said about football officiating a lot. I tend to think that NHL officiating is by far the worst because it is so much more subjective with every single penalty than everything else. Where I just think they play the result. I think if a guy's laying on the ice bleeding, there, there's just not much you can do. I think they're, they're going to call a penalty on you every time. I, I would have to, Dell, to answer your question. <clears throat> I'd have to see, <clears throat> excuse me, how the AHL generally yeah. officiates these sorts of things. I don't know that, so I don't know the answer to your question. Would it be? But I do think there's a point here Dell's making that is right, which is, and I think this is what you're getting at. And again, I go back to football here when 
when this started happening in football where they really cracked down on um, defenseless receivers. In your whole life, you've been taught, go and jar the ball loose, hit that guy. If he's coming over the middle, man, make him pay, right? And all of a sudden, like, it was maybe, what, 10 years ago or so, they just said, like, doesn't matter. You touch a guy, after his his eyes come off the ball, it is a penalty. And everybody talked about, but that's how we've taught it all through our lives, since Pee Wee and Pop Warner in high school. And I don't know, I guess the question would be, Dell, those levels are how quickly they are to respond to when the NFL said, we're just throwing the flag all the time. I don't know how quickly these other leagues are to these types of things. I'd have to see the stats. But I do think there's a point there of, yeah, you get to the highest of level, it's kind of changed from what it was after what we all taught our whole lives. But what I will tell you is, they do that now in football at every level. They that you can't like you hit a defenseless receiver. You go to a high school game on a Friday night. You're getting the same types of you know adjudication again on mm-hmm. those same hits that you are in the NFL, where maybe initially you weren't. Eight oh three oh five fifty is the phone number that was getting connected with our fans. Brought to you by Northtown Kia. Shop online at northtownkia.com. We have Kyle Krabs coming up at eight a.m. We've got some hockey in between. I got a pull up on the current Sabres core and whether you mm. still believe, because I think this was often said last year. I remember saying it that, oh, this core, like they'll be the ones that turn this around. Like they will, it will happen. Do you still believe that? Do you still believe this core of players will turn it around? I also want to explore Sally, like, who even, you know, gets to be a part of that core right now, because I think even that is a little bit in flux. Um, with Middlestad and, and others. Mm-hmm. 803-0550 is the phone number. It is a Friday. We've got the scouting combine next week, which is exciting. Uh, so maybe a little bit of a preview on that as well. Jody Biasi, Sal Capaccio, it's Jeremy and Joe. Jeremy is off today and Monday. He'll be back on Tuesday. And we'll get to your phone calls after this here on WGR. have the line of Goodrow. Rempe with a big hit. Bastion went down, and it's a penalty upcoming on Rempe. Rempe and Siegenthaler challenge Rempe, and punches were thrown. Right now, Bastion is in tough shape. Match penalty for Matt Rempe last night on that hit in the Rangers-Devils game. It's an interesting one. He's huge. He's almost seven feet tall. He is on skates. Uh, Sal pointed out, though, Nathan Bastian, the guy who got hit, he's not small either. He's 6'4". Um, yeah, it's, it's a tough one. I I don't think, though, this is also, Sal, the way the league works sometimes. If you get a five-minute, if you get tossed from the game, I feel like you're less likely to be suspended because it's like time served already a little bit. Um I might want to predict he doesn't. If he gets a suspension, I wonder if it's only like a game. I don't. I don't think you're getting like a major, you know, five to ten game suspension here. I don't think. No, that's probably right. I think that's in the, and obviously that is the the question that the leagues. Who does this anymore? Who? who? It is George Peros. Saros. George Peros. Yeah. Yes. A goon. Well, I mean, it's. But the Joe, we know what's going to happen here. We all know what's going to happen, no matter what the outcome is. There's going to be there are going to be a lot of people who think, yep, he deserved to get whatever he got. There's going to be a lot of people who say that is ridiculous. This is whether it's one game or no games or ten games, and then the most 
thing that people are going to talk about is the inconsistency of how these things get doled out, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, the same thing that happened the other night in the Leafs game uh, with the, the slap shot at the empty net, right? And I mm-hmm. forget the names. Same thing, right? Got to get how many games? What are we doing here? Um, so that's what's going to happen here. And, yeah, I don't know the right answer. And, again, I tweeted it out. People want to see it at South Sports. I put the video and said this is the hit we are talking about. And if you think he should be gone for, like, the season, I, I'm i not going to fight back on it. And if you say that he should be, like, well, I mean, it's kind of a clean hit, I'm not going to fight back because, to me, it's the way that they have been, you know, officiating this type of play. But I don't know if they should be officiating it that way. And it's the same issue I have with football, where when it happens in football, Joe, I say, look, I think that's a play where I don't know what the guy's supposed to do. But I know that it's in line with how they've been doling out these suspensions for it or these fines. Mm-hmm. Another thing I missed, by the way, debating hits and plays and suspensions like that when you're like in a playoff race or in a playoff series. Nonetheless, dude, just it's just not the same. This doesn't hit the same. Are you like uh, I hear I hear Mike say this a lot in the afternoons. Are you also in a place where when the Sabers are not good? Or almost depressing on some level that it's harder to follow the league itself, or are you just plugged in no matter what? Um, yes, that is correct. When the Sabers are not as good, it is harder for me to follow because when they are good, I'm thinking more about playoff matchups, who mm-hmm. they could see down the road, and you just and and look, I, we go, Joe. I go as you know, probably to. More than half the games, like your home games, we're there all the time. So I'm watching the league. I'm watching the Sabres. But if I'm not there watching the Sabres and the teams that come to town, I'm not really generally turning on a random game on Wednesday or Thursday night like I would be if they're in a playoff race. Yeah. I'm definitely – I mean, I'm still – into the league. I can't, I can't wait every year for the first night of the NHL playoffs. It's one of my yep. favorite sports nights of the year. Usually now you get like, it's not quite March Madness where it's the whole day, but you'll get a little bit of a staggered schedule. Um, but the same thing, like in the build up to that, it's just, you know, I'll watch a game here and there and, you know, on a Friday night, I'll throw it on in the background. I mean, me and the, the guys are going to like a golf simulator or something. We'll have a game on in the background. I think we watched Wild and Penguins. Uh, last week on in the background because it was uh, Fleury's thousandth game or something. So, you know, I'll do that, but it's not the same. I mean, I, I, I'm at a point, though, where, you know, this is this is more about the drought and how long it's been. And, like, yesterday is 17 years since the brawl game against Ottawa. It's so long ago now that I don't even know. I don't know what I'm like. I'm not even kidding. I don't know what I'm like when they're a great team, when they're a contender. I wasn't driving yet the last time they were good. And when I mean good, I mean like really good. Like to where we get into March and, oh, they're going to the playoffs. Last year was close. You were in elementary school? Yes. That's even even worse. It's going to age me even more. Uh, Age us even more. So I don't even know what my habits are like. This is where, you know, the drought is sad. It's It's... I don't know how different it is from the Bills, where it feels like maybe it's more true with the Sabers that you you almost feel like you lost a big part of a generation of fans. The Bills games always at least were an event, right? Like, oh, a hundred percent. Yeah, like you. Listen, always I, I tell that. people all the time. I tell people all the time 
like, well, bills, the bills were generally still selling out when during the drought because you only had eight times to get together with your friends and family to right. enjoy the game in the, in the tailgate in the parking lot. And by the way, there is a connection there, Joe, to all the viral videos and the, the, the Bills Mafia, as we know. We know Del Reed and what that means, Bills mm-hmm. Mafia, right? But how people think about Bills Mafia and the viral videos and the smashing tables, a lot of that was born out of the game itself isn't really the event anymore because the team's not good. We're going to go, we're going to tailgate and have a good time and just be crazy in the parking lot. And then people had smartphones to start videotaping everything. That's how a lot of that started, actually, which was yeah. it's really more about being out here and doing this. And it is isn't instead of going inside the game, but we're going to go inside the game and watch because we only get eight of these chances a year. Right. Yeah. And it really is like two the other big difference that I've experienced with the two different droughts is the Bills drought. Like you had only right eight home games a year, and only sixteen days a year where they're actually playing. What was the what were the other three hundred and forty the other three hundred and forty nine days of the year filled with? It was some level of hope, I think. Right, like the days mm-hmm. in between weeks. It's well, maybe this is the time they'll beat the Patriots and. Oh, look how good, uh, look how good Whitner was last week. Or, hey, the draft is coming up and maybe they'll get a quarterback, you know, that's finally good. And then the build up to that and just, you have a long off season, you have a lot of days off where there's just, I mean, tonight against Columbus, right? Like, just another reminder. It's another, all right, we're going to do this again. You, do, you don't really get an off day, I guess, as, as often from the Sabres. Like, they're just there. They're, they're on. They're playing. They can, they, they'll let you down, you know, most times during this last 13-year stretch. And I think having that constant reminder of what they are, like, you don't get as much of a break. I think that, I don't know, I think that plays into it as well. That almost makes it feel like it hurts even more. Yeah, well, I think the difference is because you get that one shot, one game. Maybe we get to beat the Patriots. But if it's an 82-game season, you know you're not passing the Patriots, right? (laughs) I think that's what it is. 84-game season. You're getting – in the NHL, the hope for the Sabres is, well, it's a long season. They can get – the Sabres have some big wins this year, Joe. They've beaten the Rangers on the road. They've beaten the Bruins on the road, right? I mean, they beat the – Yes. Early in the year, they were beating good teams a lot. Yes. They, but they, but but I think going into most of the this drought with the Sabers, you're like, yeah, I, I it's not gonna, they're not gonna be a playoff team, or they're gonna be very. Look at all the teams ahead of them. Yeah, one shot, one game. Yeah, give it to me. Maybe they can beat them, and they've done that. We have some responses from the hit that uh, I posted, and people are going mm-hmm. back and forth. I would say a lot of them are more on the side of not a clean play. He deserves to be penalized. Here's one exactly what I'm talking about. This is getting connected with our fans. And it is brought to you by Northtown Kia, Western New York's number one Kia dealer. Shop online at NorthtownKia.com. Peppy says, it's amazing to me how many use he's 6'8". What's he supposed to do as an excuse? Well, you're bigger. You most likely always have been bigger. Adjust for that. That's your responsibility. You can't make that hit. It's that simple. But on the other hand, just the truth tweets in and says, never put your head down on the ice. Yeah. Man, it's down for a second. It's not. It's not long. Right, I know. I mean, I I tend to side with the the former. There, I tend to side with mm-hmm. the. I, I think it's a good point about you've probably always been the biggest kid on the ice, and there needs to be an adjustment from you because right, like I, you don't get to get blasted in the head. It's oh, you know, you're you're. 
this is another part about the state of the game and how they're really wanting more speed and skill and you know and whatnot is you want players to feel like they have freedom to skate with the puck and have their head down even for a split second without getting hit in the head. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't know that you should have to change that because, oh, well, this guy is six nine on the ice because that's a free pass now. Like, he can do right. it. Because then you might have teams mm-hmm. reacting to that. If you start calling it that way of, well, we're going to call it on... We're going to call it on Dylan Cousins because he's only 6'3", but we're not going to call it on Matthew Rempe or Tage because he's 6'7". Then, you know, you're you're going you're gonna to take away, you know, more jobs from the smaller players, I think, again. Right? And I think that's Joe, kind of the Joe, opposite of what they've been doing. Right, Joe, I love, I love this tweet because I've wondered the same thing. Okay, this is Milzy. Millsy. Basically asking, Millsy, Millsy. it's Millsy, it's uh, Millsy8103. Gotta be a okay. hockey player. Gotta be, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. could be a Ryan Miller fan too, I guess. Could be, but, well, maybe not, maybe last name. He's got, I think he's got a DeMar Hamlin uh, avatar here, uh, profile picture. Anyway, Millsy tweets in, basically asking, would Brian Campbell's hit today be illegal? It, can, can I, uh, can I answer, can I kind of have a cop-out answer here? Uh, Brian Campbell's hit would be legal, but it would be called for a five-minute major, and he'd be out. That and that's sense? what Patrick responds to him. I love this. This is yeah. great. We had a lot of interaction going on on social media on this hit, and people are. And Patrick responds and says, "In today's league, absolutely, exactly what you're saying. Yes, in today's league, he's getting a penalty. Yes, all all day long. He's probably getting tossed out of the game, even though suspended. Yeah, that one even less so. I don't even think he makes contact with the head. He does not. From I've. I've I just watched but, it again the other day, actually. I don't think he does. But NHL officiating is so based on subjectivity and the result and how it looks. Right? It's so much. It's so predicated on how it looks. And how did that look? Campbell put him through the ice. I mean, it was. it's the most momentous hit I've ever seen in my entire life. He would have he got... If the ref could have given him 10 games on the spot, he would have given him 10 games on the spot. But it was a perfect hit. I'll, I'll go to my grave saying that that was the the cleanest, most perfect hit I've ever seen in my life. It doesn't get better than that. Anyways, eight hundred three hundred five fifty is the phone number. We did not get to my uh, Sabers core conversation, but we've got time. We'll get to that at seven o'clock. Eight hundred three hundred five fifty is the phone number. I did something really dumb that I want to see if Josh and Sal have anything uh, that compares to uh, when it comes to. Uh, you know the the new age of uh, <laughs> subscription based things and whatnot. We'll 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 throw that around when we get back. Jeremy and Joe. Jeremy is off today. It's Joe and Sal here on WGR. Morning, Friday morning. I feel like I'm this entering like so an 80s cop show right now. Yes! This is from Top Gun. Oh my god, I was just going to say, is this Beverly Hills cop music or something? No, oh my this, gosh. Is, this is Lead Me On from Top Gun. This is Top Gun. Well, well the 80s, I had the decade. 80s, there you go. I had the decade. 8030550 is the phone number. Alright, I did a dumb thing. I did a, I did a dumb okay. thing. I love it. What is... What would you consider, Sal... Actually, before I even ask what a long time would be, have you ever... What's the longest you've ever gone paying for a subscription you didn't know you had? Or have you avoided oh. this? 
No, no, I definitely have oh, maybe didn't know I had or been like, yeah, I guess I, you know what? Probably something recent. I, I will tell you, probably something recently. I think there was something recently we realized mm-hmm. we paid for something for my son when he was like just a couple of years ago mm-hmm. for a subscription on some learning tool he was using, right? In what, third grade or whatever. Oh, yeah, this will be yeah. really great for him. And I didn't realize we were still paying for it a couple of years later. And I'm like, you don't need that anymore. Yeah. A couple years, though. That's that's a uh, couple years. Yeah. But I think we did a yearly. That's why it wasn't like a monthly. I so see. that might change why you don't realize it until it comes up. I was going to say that's that's less egregious because you're only getting what a couple of different payments, a, you know, over a couple of years. Yeah. I uh, what would you consider on a monthly subscription? What's what's a long time to go without noticing you have a subscription? What's a long time? Without noticing, okay, in today's world, yeah, I mean, six months would be because you have a credit card statement. You have mm-hmm. things you're paying for. Now, sometimes, admittedly, like, I'll just look how much do I owe my credit card. I got to pay. But every once in a while, you look at it and go, wait a minute. What is that? I get it. That can happen. Like, mm-hmm. no doubt. Um, six months would be like, okay, if you get to a year, like, dude, what are you doing? Like, you should have noticed by now. Yep. Yep. A year? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, what do you got? I went... On a monthly subscription that paid out seventeen ninety nine a month, by the way. Not like the cheap, cheapest subscription ever. Three years without knowing that I had it. Wow. It's like roughly six hundred dollars. I you've paid. Thank you. Yes, I did I did the math. I did the math. I had to. I, I had to make I had to make myself feel bad enough about it to never make the mistake again. Because yeah, I went three years without noticing, and I okay. I'm not someone that like never checks my bank account. I mean, I'm not checking it every day or my statements. Like I I check it here and there, like occasionally, maybe more than like every day. And it just somehow I don't know how it's possible that it just didn't show up for three years. Okay, yeah. a couple things here. Number one, like, are you going to reveal what it is, or can you at least give us some sort of genre of what it is? Sure, it's it's this is another thing. I think it was something that I only used one time ever for oh. one game. I don't even remember what the game was. It was like, a, it's like a minor league hockey video streaming service. <laughs> like, I don't even remember. I, I remember okay. using it, but like, I don't remember what it was. Maybe I wanted to see, I don't know, who would have been playing like junior or college hockey three years ago. Maybe I wanted to see Devin Levi play a game or something. Uh, and maybe I went for a free. You wouldn't probably have free trial. It's the free trial. No doubt, you the, did the free oh, trial. Forgot to cancel. They and listen. Th- that's what the free trial's all about, right? That's, that's right. That's yes. what it's all there for. It's for suckers like me. That one out of a hundred, they're going to get a guy like me that's going to forget it's there, and that's the money maker. A lot of free trials now, though, they have a thing where if you start it. And then cancel it. It'll mm-hmm. go the length of the free trial, and then when it's done, it's like, oh, you right. can like it, it's over. But I have done know, that. Come I have back, whatever. I have done that too. I that might it would, could make this even worse. That could have been available to me when I did this and just didn't cancel it right there. I must have went right into watching the game that I was watching, probably northeastern hockey. That I ended up spending mm-hmm. six hundred. No one's ever spent more in a northeastern hockey game than this guy. You're like right your here. best customer, northeastern hockey. I, get, yeah. get in touch with this guy. He's like, I want to put, put a banner up and wanted some of the arenas. Yeah, no, I want a plaque. I don't even want a banner. I want a plaque somewhere. I want a statue <laughs> outside of the northeast next to Devin Levi statue. I want a statue <laughs> because I spent more than anyone on a hockey game there ever. Assuming okay. that that's so, what it was, by the way. There, there is a service now 
that advertises that you can pay for that tells you these things. Like, yes, you can go in and it actually yeah. says to you, here are all the things you're paying for. Did you realize this? And you can go, oh, my God, I didn't realize that. And it like so you can. But of course, you have to pay for that subscription to do it. You do. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which I never thought I needed, but maybe uh, maybe the evidence is is clear. I I do need that. Maybe I do need to try that out because I'm now. I, I went through. I went through immediately though. After as I think most people would, upon realizing such an egregious mistake, you go through and inventory all your other stuff and make sure that there's not another one hanging out there somewhere. There wasn't, but I don't know. Maybe I missed that too. Maybe I need to get this subscription to check on my other subscriptions because I need to be babysat on it. Yeah, not good. But good to hear uh, none of you guys have gone that long or even close to it. You know, not bad. I, yeah. Not good. 8030550 is the phone number. I've got some tweets on this too on uh, like the longest you've ever gone without without noticing you had a subscription. Um, so we get some time to get to some of that too maybe. <laughs> when we come back... Do you still believe this Sabres core is the one that's going to turn it around? I'm a little surprised by our poll results on this question. I think one year ago, this would have been above 90% yes. That these are these are the guys that are finally going to do it. We'll get to that. And also, like who's even worthy of, I guess, being mentioned in the Sabres core? As we're two weeks out from the trade deadline. So two weeks from today, we could get uh, you know some different answers. Time out here. It's Jeremy and Joe. Jeremy off today, and this is WGR. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. Just look at the chances last night. You know, Greenway breakaway misses. 
Tage a breakaway. Tage five seconds or eight seconds later, point blank in the slot miss. JJ Paterka point blank in the slot miss. Uh, JJ had partial breakaway miss. Those are I, I mentioned those because they're all quality. I mean, they got all the way to the point where okay, it's the shooter against the goaltender. So the process all the way up to that point worked, but the finish didn't last night, as an example. Let's say we're head coach Don Granato from this week, Tuesday with Jeremy and Sal. Weekly Tuesday appearance here on WGR. The Sabres and the Blue Jackets tonight, Friday night, at Columbus before returning home. Sunday against Carolina. Tonight's game's NHL Network, but I think it's still MSG for uh, for those locally. Anyways, the Sabres. All right, two weeks from the trade deadline. Are we expecting big things? Are we expecting anything uh, of significance? Are you excited for the deadline in any way? I'm always excited for the deadline. Always, isn't it? It's a cool day. It's a you know you just we. we uh, I mean, I remember days you know being in that station, uh, being in the building at the station, like kind of just monitoring everything, what's going on, and I'm, you know it's kind of the same thing now, but mm-hmm. um, just you know, waiting to see what's happening, and somebody's on social, and somebody's monitoring all the trades, and you yeah. know it's just kind of a it's a cool day for us in sports to cover the team. It's a cool day, and I think it's always for fans anyway. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm more intrigued this year, though, by I don't know what they're going to do because we keep hearing how Casey Middlestat and like they're not getting rental guys. We know that. Mm-hmm. Are they getting but no team? What team is going to trade you a a really like a core piece that the Sabres would use going forward? No team's going to do that at this time of year. But it feels like that's what they're trying to do. Right. So that's why I'm intrigued. Yeah. I have no idea what's going to happen. I think I missed the days of uh, I think I, I, Twitter. I don't know. I I love Twitter for like gaining information and like yeah. uh, like fun, you know stuff like that. Um, deadline day though, like man, when I'm growing up and I'm I'm turning this station on for deadline day. Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember where I was when I just heard somebody break in. Maybe it would have been like Matthew Collar back in the day. I don't remember who it was, but someone just broke in to to say the Sabers were trading. Zach Cassian to the uh, to the Canucks for Cody Hodson, and then who's Cody Hodson? And just you know, you kind of like learning about it right then and there, rather than having like the slow drip, the the build up to it. Like, hey, it sounds like there's a Friedman saying that he's hearing this and this. The deadline, by the way, it's kind of not the same that it was even league wide. A lot of those trades now are made like the day or two days before deadline day. I actually think the NFL trade deadline day is kind of past it. Because NFL trade deadline day, you actually get some real moves now of consequence. But we'll see. You're right. Like The trade they want to make, I, I think, or should want to make, is, okay, let's take a Casey Middlestat and let's trade him for another team's Casey Middlestat that plays a different position. But who is making that trade with you right now? If anything, you're really targeting... The only teams you can really do a deal like that with, I think, are the teams that are also not on their way to making the playoffs. That's it. Mm-hmm. So you're kind of limiting your field of who you can do that with. If you're trying to trade Casey Middlestat, for instance, and you want to get a top four defenseman back, all right, and you call who? Who's in a playoff spot? You call, you know, Vancouver. And. You say, okay, well, we want your number three defenseman, but we're going to give you Casey Middlestad. Vancouver's in first place. They're going to say, 
Or we'd love to have Casey Middlestab, but we're not we're not right. giving you a twenty three minute a night defenseman when we're on our way to making the postseason. We're not. That's doing what that. makes no sense to me. How do you do that? Because generally, if you're going to trade a guy like Casey, you know you're going to get core pieces back. But the teams that you're going to get core pieces back are probably the teams that. Because if you want Casey Middlestab, you're going to be you know you're fighting for playoffs already, and that's why you're doing that. So what's the other alternative? Oh, you get pieces and parts and prospects. I don't want that anymore. Like, if right. the plan is to trade Casey Middlestat for a first-round pick and a couple guys are going to be in Rochester for a year or two, please no. I, I'm not signing up for that. that. I'm done with this. It would be inconceivable no. to me if they – I mean, and Adams has said it. Adams has said it on this station that that's not the type of trade he's looking for. Like, And, okay. and if that makes sense. Good. They already have too many. They already have a surplus yes. of picks and prospects, most more so prospects. They're already – we're talking about how there isn't room for them. That if next year – and this is where this deadline will be interesting in the offseason, too. I I anticipate moves because it would be it would be odd if they showed up without making many moves. And what happens if Yuri Kulik, Isaac Rosan, and Matthew Savoy all show up to camp next year and oh look, they're NHL ready. They're ready. They are ready for the next step. They are, I mean, Savoy, where else are you going to put them? And Kulik has maybe already been ready. Like, the, those three guys are ready. Uh, we, we don't have room. You know, right now, you just, you would say, we don't, what are we going to do? We only have room for one of them, maybe? Maybe two of them? And one of those spots is probably on the fourth line? Like, who are you really taking out? You're taking out Gergensen's and Okposo. And those are fourth line minutes. That's that's not what these prospects are supposed to fill in for you. They're not supposed to be fourth liners. So I almost feel like, you know, if it's not Middlestat, something because they otherwise it's you better trade those prospects because I don't see what value you're going to have in them playing twelve minutes a night for you down the road. Because are my right, Sal? Like the core of forwards at least like it's in place like their top six is already locked in or am i wrong in thinking that no i think you're right unless they make a shocking move yeah i think you're right about that right like that that would be the kind of like when paul comes out and goes look i mean you shouldn't limit yourself and if you really think you can make a deal with a cousins or a tage then you do it he's not advocating for it he's just saying like you can't just say that these guys are untouchable Man, like Paul has said, the only guy who's untouchable to him would be Rasmus Dahlin. So I think, right, J- Joe, barring anything like that, I agree with you. Now, when you talk about guys who could get moved, you just mentioned two of them. But you're not getting anything for them. Oposo and Gergensens, right? What are you getting nope. for either of those guys, right? I mean, like, yeah, that's fine. Give them a chance to go play on a playoff team. Great. Like, good for them. You're not getting anything. You're getting a late-round pick, basically, for them. You're getting future considerations, maybe, to be quite honest with you, for Kyle Oposo. No disrespect, but at this point of his career, I mean, that's probably what you're looking at, something along those lines. Um, so the other guy I keep thinking about, though, there is one guy I keep thinking about, UPL. I, he's going to be an RFA. Mm-hmm. They yeah. have Devin Levi. He's playing the best hockey of his career. His value has never been higher. And, mm-hmm. hey, you never know what any team's flavor is on goaltending, right? I mean, there's such a wild type yep. of variance with that. I, I just wonder if that's something they would entertain and want to do to fit, think that they can get better now and over the next few years. It is not. It sounds crazy because he's having... Yep. He's having one of the better goalie seasons that anyone's had since Ryan Miller. Um, and we've been waiting for somebody to do that. And finally, 
you know, I, 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 can, I can imagine how that sounds to somebody. It's, wait, right. we finally have a good goalie season and we're just going to move him off the roster just like that? Like, what are you talking about? Like, he, we spent five years developing this guy, but you, met, you made the right, you know, point there about how, well, it's time to pay him. It's time to do something with him. I think what's probably most likely is a bridge deal. They'll give him a two- or three-year deal, maybe like $4 million bucks, and they'll keep him around. But it's not crazy to me. It, if that was your avenue to getting a top-four defenseman and another team wanted him, I, I, I'm with Paul. I wouldn't say no to anybody other than maybe Darlene right now. And the way Levi is playing right now in Rochester, I just need to point this out on Levi again. I like to you know, continue to point this out. Lukanen, Levi's in Rochester more so to me because of Lukanen than, than his own play. He, mm-hmm. if you look at especially some of his advanced numbers this year, he's he played league average goaltending play this year. Like, Levi was about a league average goalie by a lot of those numbers. And then he got sent down because Lukanen was playing well above league average, and he was playing every night, and obviously you're not going to want Levi playing once every three weeks, He's in Rochester so that he can get games. And Lukanen has outplayed him and earned the number one job. Levi, by the way, since he's been down there, he's number one in the AHL in save percentage. So, you know, he's he's having a pretty strong developmental season. It's just not going as, you know, it's not the superstar type of season that some people might have wanted. And as you've said, it's kind of perfectly normal for yeah. what's happening yeah, with him. Yeah, totally normal. So, I guess part of it is how much faith you have in him. Because... If you call up Calgary and they want, or just Carolina, and they want, they'll they'll talk Brett Pesci with you, but who's a top four defenseman, but they need a goaltender, so they want Lukanen back for him. You know, a lot of that's going to be how much faith you have in Levi, because if you don't have Ukapeka Lukanen on this team next year, you you got to go find a goalie again. You got to go find a goalie again, and man. I guess they could do that. So Lukanen, to like, would you agree he's not at this point a part of like what we would call like the core of the team going forward, or he's not yet? I should. Say. I not think yet. I would agree because I I think to me, okay, so that's a good question. You can do it with two, right? Look at the Bruins and what they've been able to do with yes. um, Omar and Swayman, right? Yes. Like you yep. can do that. But I think when I think of core of the team, I'm thinking one goalie and one number one guy. Like that that's kind mm-hmm. of and I think eventually that's going to be Levi. I hope it turns out. I think it's going to turn out. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. But even let's just say it would it could be UPL. It's gonna be one or the other. I, I don't think of two goalies like this. Like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, the core of the team is these two goalies. You can do it and you do need a solid backup, there's no doubt. I just think though, if you have an opportunity if, to you know, spin one of them who can go and play and get what he deserves in minutes and whatever somewhere else, then you can improve your team elsewhere. That's what you do because the other guy is your core then. So I agree with you. I don't think either goalie I would put in that category right now just because it's too early on in the process, mm-hmm. especially for Levi, but I would say for Lucan and two. Um, I liked Chad Dinaminesis on this uh, earlier in the week when, uh, when Jeremy asked him about, like, at what point would you say, okay, this is what Lukanen is? Because, as I pointed out, he hasn't had a season this good since the OHL. He never even had a season like this in the AHL. So this is kind of new. I hope it holds for years, but I think you got to give it more than 35 games before you're just ready to declare this is what UPL is forever. But a year from now, if he's still doing it, then that's what Chad said. I think I agree with that. 
that okay, then I think you have to give it to him. Like this is this is what he is. Until that, I'm not putting him in like the core of the team. I think like who are the who's the core of the team right now? It's Tage, it's Cousins, it's Darlene, it's Power. Those guys are all locked up. And am I am I fair in putting Tuck in that category too? Um. Yes, I think you're fair. Yes. Am I am I done? Am I putting so Paterka is... in there yet? Well, I don't know. So so Tuck's an interesting guy to me. Like how? Let's take a look at Tuck for a second. Let's examine him. Look at his age. Look at his contract. Where are we? I like I I much more. This is a the the, the category you're putting him in is what? Tell me the category you're putting him in here. You just said like the the core of the team. Like the guys that are staples that you are you they are here and you are just you are you're building around them. I would say is the way I would want. Actually, to I don't know. I it's going to sound crazy to a lot of people. I don't know if I'd put Tuck there. I mean, he's 27 right now. He's still young. He's got three. He's got two more years left on his deal here. I, I I don't know. I think so. Like two years from now, sure. But he's not this long term Tage Cousins. What you're going to sign Paterka? Probably Quinn. I think Quinn's in this category. Like I don't know. What is it beyond that? And does it come a time where over the next couple of years you got to make a decision on that? In two years' time, maybe I hear you. I but not right now. Not now for sure. Mm-hmm. The the thing about that is like he he is the face of guys that want to be here, right? Yeah, that's right. Like yeah. he's he's from here, you know. You know, loosely, he's from Syracuse, but he grew up a Sabres fan. Um, if you can't get the kid that grew up a Saber fan, well, I I, say, I I shouldn't say it that way. It wouldn't be. It wouldn't have to be him leaving. It could be the Sabers deciding. It's a it's a hockey decision uh, on their in their own right. But for, yeah, for now I would put him in there, but I could understand not. Um, Cousins, no problem, right? Darlene and Power is that it, it, it? Samuelson, I mean, he's signed, but he didn't have a great year. Like I, I don't know. Like my my overall question, what the reason I'm trying to figure well, out like who the players give me one are. One more guy here. It's only because of contract, Jeff Skinner. Jeff Skinner, yeah. I mean, you're keeping it. You're not. What are you doing with that? I mean, even no, even if here. you want to move on, he's 31 right now. He's got to be here for the next few years. Yeah, he's he's here till 2027, like right. almost almost for sure. The reason I try to figure out the list is I put this poll up. Like I think a year ago, we all thought even if they weren't going to make it, but they were just starting to. They were putting their run together. Um, they were getting back into the playoff picture. They were in a race. They were the youngest team in hockey. You know, they weren't getting the goaltending, so there was a pretty there was a pretty obvious reason why they weren't fully formed yet. A year ago, I think collectively we all would have thought they're they're gonna figure it out, even if it's not this season. This group will get there. They'll get to the postseason. They'll break the drought. They will return this team to being a contender, even. And now I put that poll up. Do you believe this Sabres core of players will be the ones to turn all of this around? And 67% are saying no. And I think that's, a you know, we're in the heat of the moment. We're we're in a bad place with this season and with the overall, I think, lack of big moves that have, you would want to build around them. Um, but the Tages, the Cousins, the, the, the Dalines, the Powers, I think it is fair to ask if they are good enough to be a team's best players that are going to be a Stanley Cup contender. Especially in a division, like look look who you're competing with. Boston's best players, Pasternak and Marshawn for now, but I know he's on the way out. Charlie McAvoy, like their best players are better than your best players. 
Toronto, Matthews has 51 goals. I mean, that's that's easy. Marner, you know, their best players right now are better than your best players. Florida's best mm-hmm. players. Like, I, I, I think the bigger reason they're not in the playoffs is more the, the moves that have been made to build around these guys. But we, we also need to recognize we don't know what the ceiling is for them. We don't know. Like, can Tage Thompson and Rasmus Dahlin be the best players on a Stanley Cup team? Because I think we're still we still are in a question mark uh, type of a uh, period with that. Tage Thompson, Rasmus Dahlin. I mean, I guess I. Well, then who is? I mean, then those people aren't here right now, right? I mean, and, and how do you get them? That's that becomes a question because and you those don't, are pretty high level yeah. players, <laughs> and you and you don't want to go back into that because that is correct. That, You're not going to the bottom to get them. Dark like, depressing. Remember before I said, Joe, I have no interest in any of these prospect trades anymore. Yes. I have less interest in anyone talking to me about tanking. Yeah, no, I get that. I get that. I mean, really, what you might be hopeful of, like how how do they how do they get great? Because as I mentioned, I, is there someone in the organization that's going to be better than Austin Matthews? That's going to be better than Matthew Kachuk? That's going to be better than David Pasternak? Better than you know Kucherov in Tampa? That, that's another part that's not the Sabers' fault. They're in a division that's pretty loaded. Like, this is probably the best division in hockey, and for 10 years running, it's probably been, it's like a microcosm, or it's a, you know, maybe a lesser version of the uh, the Bills drought when they had the Patriots in their in their division all the time. It's not solely the responsibility of New England that the Bills had a drought, but it didn't help. And that's, I think, part of what you look at when you're looking up at your division rivals right now is they all have elite players that are going to be there for a really long time. And mm-hmm. how do you over overcome that? You either need Tage and Darlene to be those, you know, MVP level players, you, or you need someone else in the organization. I really wonder if Zach Benson could be that still. Maybe Kulik, maybe there's someone else that mm-hmm. has that type of upside. I don't want to say it couldn't mm-hmm. happen. Or you just have to have a better fully formed roster than them. Right, like you've got to beat them in, wow. in, in depth. You got to beat them in net. You got to beat them in in other stuff. Eventually, that will you. If you want to answer yes to this question of this core will turn things around, eventually it will start to you know we'll have to start to figure out like what the the ceiling is then. Now, can I have permission to um, borrow Jeremy Snark Cannon for a second? Can I sure. do that? Sure. Can, can I borrow the Snark Cannon? Uh, you asked like basically something about. You know, or you said, you know, how do you overcome a team like the Leafs who have so much, you know, high end talent? And the answer is, you don't have to. The Leafs will overcome themselves. That's the answer right there. <laughs> For the Leafs specifically, I know it's yeah. a Buffalo guy making a joke about the Leafs. I get all that. I get it. that's yep. the ironic part. But let's be honest. I mean, the Leafs have hey. some great players, but I don't. The, we all have a lot of. There's a lot of questions about them, even with yep. those great players, on how far they can go. Yep. It's just, it, and that's right. They, they are on a six-game win streak, by the way. So, uh, you know. Oh, nice. But you know, yeah. go, go on a six-game win streak in the playoffs. Uh, Toronto, the, the division, like, they, who are they going to top? I hope Tampa because I hope they age out, and I hope Boston. But I'm I'm done betting against Boston because I look like an idiot every other year doing that. But I don't know where I'm at with this. I I think I'm in the I'm on the fence. I want I don't like to not take sides on. Will this core be the one that turns things around? Let me put it this way. I don't know if they'll get back to contending the way that we talked about that 07 team 17 years ago. Like, that was real contention. 
I still feel pretty comfortable, though, that they'll break the drought. <laughs> the, this team will break the drought. I think so, too. But, man, step back this year. I re- I was all in on they were going to do it this year. I really was. I was fooled. I, I, I thought, and was that the right word? I don't even know. I really thought this they were going to do that this year. What? But even that, like, fooled by, like, who could have seen? I don't know. Who could have seen the power play going to, like, the third worst unit in the league? Like, I, I, I don't know. I wouldn't have seen that coming. I, if we were fooled, I don't know. Just who, who would have seen the regression offensively looking like this? I, I don't know. That's why I think everyone has the right to be upset about this season is it shouldn't have looked like this. All of their top players coming down to earth like that, it's it's pretty tough. 803-0550 is the phone number. Mark and West Seneca. Hey, Mark. Oh, good morning. How are you, Joe? Good, Mark. Oh, I, I always love talking to you about hockey. <laughs> I've always told you that whenever I call. You don't talk about it enough. So, Thanks, man. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, a huge Sabre fan. As frustrated as anybody um, about how the season has gone, uh, but when I look at the, the, to me, there is an absolute correlation. If you start talking about changing the core right now, as what the organization has been doing for 13 years, which is this: every few years, uh, they change the GM, they change the coach, they change gears. Everything's in upheaval, and it's in constant flux. Just a year ago, the, the organization. Uh, surprisingly to a lot of people, said, hey, these are our core guys. We're going to pay them. This is, now is the time to stay with your convictions. Granted, the season's not gone well. Everybody's frustrated. But one year later, you're about to change the core. Uh, you could argue that the Sabres have not put anything around that core uh, to help that core. Mm-hmm. Okay? Uh, you, need, you need something out of your third and fourth lines much better. Uh, than what you're getting. And I'm not just, I mean, you know the game, I know the game. It's not just scoring. It, you know, it's about hard to play against. It's about puck possession. It's about time in the offensive zone. It's about commitment to defense. We don't have those players. We don't even have a player that we can stick on a top line that has those convictions and, and let the offensive guys go do their thing. So it, it's not just putting those guys down on the third and fourth line. You know, you got to have the ability to mix guys in and up around the lineup, too. But to start making changes in the core right now, only a year after you identified it, that's not sticking with your convictions. That's that's even more scary to me than if these guys just had career years and now we're getting closer to what they really are. Because not an organization, a GM and a coach, who are always going to be flying by the seat of their pants. You might as well just be talent gatherers, uh, throw guys together, and see what sticks, as opposed to having a a true, pure idea of how you want to make your roster up, who's playing what roles on what lines, and and how you're making that up. So um, as far Mm -hmm. as, you know, trading a Dylan Cousins or trading a Tuck or any of that, if we're here next year at this time, then I'm on board with that, okay? But... Absolutely not. Not right now. Well, okay. can I ask you, Mark, do you consider Middlestat to be a part of the core of this team? You know, I was, uh, I'm not going to say hater. I was I was, a middle, I was disappointed in Middlestat for where he was drafted and the things he would show every once in a while a year and a half to two years ago. But now, you know, when you look at Casey, uh, if you're going to move him, I'm not against moving him 
Okay, but you better yeah. make sure you're getting something back really good because Casey is not only a good offensive player, he's a guy that's valuable to any team because you can move him up and down your lineup at the drop of a hat. He can play on your third line and help the guys around him down there, or you get an injury and you put him on the first line and you don't miss a beat. Yeah. So those guys are valuable, and Casey's played his, himself into that position. So uh, I'm, I'm, um, you know, I, I really like him now, and I, and I support him. Uh, he's really worked, and he's become a really good player, and he's been through some adversity. Uh, so, but like I said, if, if they're going to move him, because he's going to be the target, everybody's going to be looking for Casey Middlestat. That's the easy target, you know, especially for teams. And now if, you, if you're going to, you know, you know who's going to be calling? The teams that are in the playoffs. And they're going to, like you said, yeah. they're going to want to give you a draft pick or whatever. The, the stuff we don't want or need right now. Right. Well, so, Mark, let me, let me really cut in here. Thank, thanks for the call. The reason I ask you about Middlestat is, like you say, like in a year from now, if they still are in this position, then I'll be into the idea or will be more open to the idea of trading a Cousins or a Tuck. When I ask this question, and I, I hope I'm not coming off as though I'm trying to trade these guys off the core, Middlestat, that's why I asked about Middlestat, because I would differentiate him from that. He doesn't have a contract. We don't know if he's still going to be on the team. I would not put him in that category as those other players. I'm not saying trade those other guys in part because you really can't. Like... They've made up their minds on that. This is why the the question for me was more posed as how confident are you rather than should this be it? Because this is it. They've decided. They've decided by paying them for right or wrong, and maybe it'll still be for right, but they've decided that Tage, Cousins, Power, and Darlene, and Samuelson, like these are gonna this is gonna be the core of their team. They've already decided that. So I don't think there is any. One year from now, if things still aren't going well, you trade these guys. I, that's not that, – this is it. This is the group, the core group. You can build around them, and maybe you can add in even some star players, you know, if, you, if you're willing to trade enough stuff. But these, these, are, the, these are the guys. They're, they're not going anywhere for a long time. Again, for, uh, for right or wrong. 803-0550 is the phone number. Time out here. I got to get some football stuff in. I got, you know, I think I think we had a good conversation, me and Sal, about Gabe Davis yesterday and this week, even earlier when I wasn't here. So we fire that up a little bit. I've got a question about running back for the Bills and all that leading into Kyle Krabs, who will join us at 8 a.m. for a little bit on free agency, which is less than a month away from the NFL, uh, some draft stuff, and also for the Dolphins because he's the uh, host of Locked on Dolphins as well. So Kyle Krabs coming up at 8. We still have time for your phone calls, though. After this timeout, Jody Biasi, Sal Capaccio, 8030550 is the phone number here on WGR. Baseball is back, and so is MLB.tv. Watch every out of market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices, anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi view mode and catch up with in game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre and post game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. He puts a tremendous amount of pressure on himself. He has extremely high expectation of himself. That's why he had such an incredible year last year and last couple years after 
previous years of major adversity. And I think this is a new new territory for him, new expectations for him within himself and, and even outside expectations. I think he's dealt with all that as all star players and, and blooming star players do. And again, I, I, I truly believe he'll come out the, the other side of this even better. And, uh, you know, the hope is obviously the intent is to shorten that. That is Don Granato on Tage Thompson, who has definitely seen regression this year. 16 goals after 47 last year. I had the stats yesterday that I was alarmed to find were that this exaggerated. But the Sabres had last year 42 goals when the Thompson, Skinner, and Tuck line were all on the ice. When all three of those guys were on the ice at the same time last year. 42 goals at 5-on-5, and this year it's 7 Mm -hmm. Seven this year for that line. Their top line has not played together as much. That's that's a part of it because they've all been injured at different times. But they've also uh, they've also just not had the same goal production. We've all we've all seen it tonight against Columbus. Seven o'clock puck drop against the dead last Blue Jackets. Dead last in the uh, in the Eastern Conference. Sal wrote a little bit earlier this week or even on the weekend the uh, the state of the running backs. For the Bills at our website, WGR550.com, where you can find that there. I just want to revisit that a little bit, Sal, because you you would agree, right? They're going to do something there, right? Like, would it be surprising if they just brought back the entire same group? Like, maybe they bring back a Ty Johnson, but do you ex- you wouldn't expect the whole position to look the same as it did last year, would you? No, that's correct. I, I think there's always going to be turnover. They're going to bring more guys in. It's a 90 man roster, right? Right now they have 53 mm-hmm. plus whatever they sign. They're 60, low 60s, I guess. Um, so you're talking, and then you're going to lose free agents, obviously, right? So yeah, yeah. You, you have a lot of work to do here. Um, there are three pending free agents Ty Johnson, Latavius Murray, Damian Harris. I would not rule out Ty Johnson coming back. I wouldn't even rule out Damian, Damian Harris coming back. Mm-hmm. I'd be more so to rule out, not Latavius completely, Murray. of course, you never know. Yeah, Latavius Murray. That feels like the one that not going to have him. And then what do you do with Naeem Hines, right? So to answer your question, I think the room looks probably similar as far as what types of players you have, maybe even a couple names, but there's going to be different names. The one place that I want to – because I – and I would hope they do bring back Ty Johnson. I I liked him last year. Me too. Um, Me too. He kind of was that thumper role while having that that burst of speed. Like he – he even – if you go back to his – you know his pre pre draft days. Um, I remember looking up his forty time, and it was faster than I would have thought. Like a four three nine maybe is in my head for him. He had four four zero, so he ran a really fast forty yard dash back in the day, and then he had a little bit of a career with the Jets. I, I like the player, and I would be perfectly you know okay with bringing him back. The reason I ask about Murray is I I read your piece. I was looking through some numbers on this too. The one role that Murray played a lot that I didn't expect him to, and I don't know how many people did. He played more snaps for the Bills in third and long situations than any other running back. He had the most receptions for Bills uh, running backs on third down. He uh, James Cook only had three the whole year on uh, third down when it came to pass receptions. And I think that is mostly attributed to Murray's trustworthy blocking ability, right? Like, and he would sometimes, though, then run out and catch some passes when I think a lot of fans would go, wait a minute, how come Latavius Murray is catching this pass? And sometimes it went really well, 
like there was that Chiefs play where it's one of the highlights of the of the year where Allen's falling out of bounds and Murray's the guy that decided to run down the field and get open. So I'm not saying it was always terrible, but I'm wondering who would replace that role. I mean, that could just be maybe they try James Cook at it again. Um, but my question to you would be like how much they trust Cook as a blocker because that is a role I thought he'd play coming into the league is like those third and long pass catching running back situations. And it, it wasn't him last year. And I'm guess I'm wondering like who that might end up being this year. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. Um, so why did McMurray play that much? Yeah. It's because, you know, they, they trusted him more than anybody else. And yeah. you know, do they have to figure out somebody that gets there? I, I do think it's a, a good question because, Pass catching wise, third and long, that should be James Cook time, right? I mean, you think yeah. about it, like get James Cook on the field, throw him the ball. I get it. I know people will tell me, like, I get it. I wrote the article and people wrote how much will James Cook drop this pass and drop that pass. You're not wrong. Everybody, you're not wrong. I just think it was, I, th- I trust him to catch those passes next year. He's a good pass catcher. Yeah. He dropped some balls this year. I, I you would, know what I mean? I would trust that too, but. Are we at a point where they we don't tr- there's no trust to bl- for him to be that guy that might have to stand in there and pick up a blitz? Like isn't that more the reason right. he wasn't in there on on third and long situations? And I'm not even saying he can't, but uh, you know, that's a lot of work then, right? Like he's already getting the majority of the carries, he's already going to get the majority of the of the targets even if he does have some drops. You know, the one one spot where there might be room for somebody else to carve out a role is, yeah, can you play the role that Latavius Murray did last year in those situations? And by the way, I just want to throw Naheem Hines out there for that because he'd have to come back on a, on a, on a you know, a, obviously a restructured contract. But just looking through some of his PFF stuff, like he's been a good pass-blocking running back. Mm-hmm. But you would also expect him to do more with the ball in his hands than Latavius Murray would, I think. Yeah, I keep thinking about, is there room for both Hines and, and Deontay Hardy on the roster? Oh, and Hardy, yeah. Right? So I don't know about that, right? Th- th- that's the guy I go to there. I do think there's room for Hines and Cook, Yeah, but then maybe not Hardy, right? But if you have Hardy, and then maybe you don't need Hines. But you're right. I, and at the end of the day, Joe, what do they do? They have How many running backs do they have active on game day? Three, right? They don't have four. Um, right. And, you know, and it doesn't mean you can't have guys in the roster. We 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 saw this this year. Yeah, Nine Hines is an interesting case. There's no way he can be come back, come back into no. that contract. I just don't see it. It would be no way. There's no way. Five, five million, you right? Either, or right, right around you there. You either release him or he. I mean, if you want to extend him for a year and push some money for one more year and say we'll deal with it next year, that's fine. Just lower the cap hit. I don't care how you do it. Mm-hmm. Just lower the cap hit, right? I mean, I think that's what you have to to do. And you don't even have to have Nine Hines. Maybe there's another guy. And by the way, he is coming off a toward ACL, so yeah. maybe it just doesn't work out, and you. Think mm-hmm. you know a lot of these guys. What's going to happen is um, we're going to have roster bonuses due coming up for some of the players in March. There's the passing physicals coming up at somewhere in the new league year, and that's going to trigger some things. And teams are going to have to make decisions. So a lot's going to be decided. But yeah, I, I think that the room looks similar. Mm-hmm. It might be different names, and the one guy I would like to get back is Ty Johnson. But if not, Joe, get me a guy that's pretty cheap. It's yep. just kind of like Ty Johnson. The good the good news is I would right also expect if they do anything it would be cheap. I saw. Did you see the chart Ian Harditz tweeted out yesterday about it was a uh, free agent running backs in the last seven years. So running backs to get ten plus million signing with a new team, and there are seventeen names 
that have achieved this. They've left their original team. They've gotten the payday somewhere else. And this just totally speaks to draft running back, don't invest a lot, you know, go the cheaper route if you can. Because of these 17 names, like maybe two teams don't regret signing the guy. Like David Montgomery, probably a good signing, you know, I would say last year for the Lions. And Lamar Miller in 2016, like maybe Houston doesn't regret that. But everything else, like Le'Veon Bell to the Jets, obviously a regret for the Jets. Uh, Carlos Hyde, a big deal with the Browns, regret. Jarek McKinnon for the Niners, regret. Uh, so these, which 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 guys specifically are you looking at? Big deals, like certain. What are the parameters yeah, you're is, looking at when you look at this? It's running backs that got ten million dollars or more signing okay. with a new team, and there's no big hits. Like they're all misses, pretty much in the last seven years. It's just it's just more evidence that you know when there is a big name running back to hit the open market. Just don't do it. Just, just don't, don't, don't give him the big money. Go, go, go the inexpensive route. Can, can I throw out a an idea? I'm not sure. I, I want to know what you think about this. I'm throwing it out because I'm not saying go do it. Last year, the Texans signed Devin Singletary for 1.5 million for a one year deal. He's a free agent again. I wouldn't hate it. I, there might be ideas I like better, but it wouldn't be my least favorite idea. I shouldn't say that. He got 3.1 on the cap because of the bonus he got. Okay. So it was a $3 million cap hit. Now, he might make more, but would you take a guy, would you take Devin Singletary back at that same rate on the Bills? At that rate? Probably not, right? I might rather, yeah. He'd have to sign almost vet minimum yeah. for me to yep. sound, make it sound like a good idea because I think I'd rather just go rookie at, or uh, someone else. I think you're right. Now that I look at the numbers, I think also. I, I, I agree with that. But. You could do a lot worse than, than Devin Singletary if you go vet minimum. Yeah. we got to take a break here, but no offense to spot track, but I think they're way off when they think his that they have Singletary's market value at three years, $5.3 million per year. Uh, I don't think that's happening. I, I would be floored if Singletary got that contract. A year after he didn't with, you know, a pretty good track record with the Bills. 803-0550 is the phone number. Kyle Krabs coming up at 8 o'clock here on WGR. That is a future Bills receiver, Brian Thomas Jr., to you, Mr. Play-by-Play Man. Uh, 62 days. 62 days till we get the new wide receiver, too. Well, we'll see. It's Jody Biasi and Sal Capaccio. Jeremy White is off today. And joining us now on the West Her Hotline is Kyle Krabs of Locked On Dolphins, but also a co-host with our buddy Joe Marino on the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast as well. Morning, Kyle. Thanks for taking some time out for us. Good morning. How you guys doing? Pretty good. You locked in on a free agency more so than the draft these days? I know I've seen, at least by listening to your podcast, it's been a little of both, I think, lately. Yeah. we. Um, I, I did some, some draft work kind of November, December, and then once the regular season closed, it's I've watched probably like 150 free agents to be, which has been really fun and, and kind of a different approach to off season versus what we've usually done, but kind of gives you a really great gauge on 
the teams individually and, and the players mm-hmm. and how they could fit within each other's roles based on coaching continuity or projecting for coaching changes. So all kinds of different layers to just kind of split this offseason into just another chapter to help get us through it as quickly as we can. Yeah, I'm gonna get to some uh, some dolphin stuff with you too, of course, because they're gonna have an interesting off season. I know Christian Wilkins has been in the news lately, but on some of the the Bills' needs and the overall off season in general, I, I heard you playing free agent matchmaker with Joe on your guys' show. I think it was last week, um, and I don't even know if we need to spoil the name here. We, you can you can tell us if you want, but do you kind of see the Bills going after somebody? In the free agent wide receiver pool, even if it's one of the, I mean, I doubt it's going to be one of the tier one guys, maybe someone that's going to be cheaper. Yeah, I know Buffalo's salary cap situation is, there's kind of some parallels to Miami where there's some restructures and extensions that are going to have to happen to get you to an operating cap. And that kind of puts you in the budget for the first wave through uh, June 1st. But uh, I think if you look at the wide receiver types that are available, you know, guys that potentially have down years, but Maybe they're not all the way at the tail end of their career. I, I know Joe's really high on uh, the potential of Darnell Mooney from Chicago for, for Buffalo. I think that would be an excellent fit if they wanted to go with another shifty type receiver. He gets a lot of separation. There were quite a few opportunities that he had with fields where either Mooney maybe just drifts up a little too far up on his route and, and they're not on the same timing, which is something for fields with how frequently he likes to hold the ball. It's not really strength of his game anyway. Um, but then if they want the big body type guy, and I know Gabe Davis is the outgoing free agent here, and you, I think you guys should be really excited about Khalil Shakir and what he's kind of shown as a growth player. So if you don't want to go with that type of player and you want the Gabe Davis body type, I think DJ Chark is like a really good height, weight, speed, vertical outside receiver with some size who's going to be a pretty economically friendly player who has, frankly, played on bad offenses the last few years, so the production's been down. So you might get it for cheaper than you would otherwise. I I think based on Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean's comments, though, Kyle, that they're probably looking more for the separator. There's there's room for a bigger body guy. And, of course, if you lose Gabe Davis, there's no doubt about that. They use the words explosive plays when talking about – Adding, you know, to the wide receiver group. So I think that's where, you know, we're probably a little bit more focused here. How about a guy like Curtis Samuel? You know, would he fit in? He's a guy that comes from Carolina, very familiar organization. Um, you know, even, mm-hmm. you know, Joe Brady being there for a couple of years, you probably have a lot of ties that people they could talk to. People like that. I think that that's what they're looking for, maybe in free agent yeah. market and in the draft. If, if I could jump in here too before you before yeah. you go, Kyle is, and I, I want to hear you on Samuel also. Isn't Chark though? I know this was him early in his career. He was also that vertical speed threat on top of the big body. Is that still true? You think of him? Yeah, I think he can still run, and, and that's kind of what I thought of, of Gabe was a big body guy who can still play vertically down the field with good ball skills, mm-hmm. but. Uh, I do think Chark has maybe a little bit more explosiveness vertically in his game, but if you're looking for a diverse route tree, then I do think one of these shifty guys is probably the way to go. I like uh, Mooney a little bit more than Samuel, just because Samuel had some scheme touches. He had his mm-hmm. big breakout in year three in that big contract that he signed in Washington with, with Eric Bieniemy coming over, and some of that was facilitated by how they moved him around and had manufactured targets in the midst of they have these two uh, big-time wide receivers in Terry McLaurin and Jahan Dotson as the outside guys, and the production wasn't great for either one versus their their standards or their hopes for them, but Samuel was kind of the chess piece that moved around. So if you want to accommodate a player like that, I think that's the appeal for someone like Curtis Samuel is 
we're going to put him on the backfield, and, and we're going to get him matched up, guaranteed on a linebacker on a choice route out of the backfield. Yeah. Uh, do you want to have that overlap with James Cook? I don't know, uh, but I think Mooney's a better all-around player where if you're looking for somebody who can be in the slot or be outside, I think Mooney's a better option, whereas Samuel, I, I think he's really attractive for the ways that you can select and create mismatches for him with his versatility that I don't think I've really seen on Mooney's tape. Yeah, I think everyone seems to be pretty much in lockstep that like the Bills might only be one piece away on offense from last year to this year replacing Davis, and that's down the field. Sal mentioned explosiveness. You mentioned Chark as an idea for that. And you also mentioned Shakir. Like he really mm-hmm. were you always a Shakir stan? I feel like there's a there's a there's a group of Shakir stands that all along were this guy went way too low and there's more here than you might think. And then Kyle he got on the field and like is it fair for us to be treating this offseason going into next year like, oh no, he's just the slot receiver and that's all there is to it? I, I think there's maybe a little bit more upside there, but you, it's such a dangerous game to play to just put all your eggs in that basket and not have some kind of a hedge. And that's why I think it's good to look for alternatives that are economically friendly, probably a one-year deal, have somebody that's going to be motivated who you think can at least push it and then let the competition sort itself out. You know, Shakir, I, I was never on like the Stan wagon, for Khalil Shakir, but I did think he was uh, an early day three fringe top 100 type of talent that I believe fell to the fifth round. And I think some of that is just a matter of, well, he's a shifty, smaller slot receiver. That skill set's not particularly difficult to find on an annual basis, so the demand isn't there for this to be a premier pick in the draft. But you get him on the field, and lo and behold, the, the dude can play. It's not a surprise if you watch him at Boise State. So um, I would just not pigeon my, myself, pigeonhole myself and say he's going to be the inside-outside guy, the wide receiver too. Let's not ask any questions about it and just move on to the next hole on the roster. I would want to have some competition there at the very least with somebody that has a little bit more of a resume on the perimeter because I think that's where you get stuck. You look at Buffalo and their, their construction, obviously Steph Diggs, uh, the two tight ends, You've got James Cook out of the backfield. Now you have Shakir. What do you want to be? Do you want to be a 12-personnel team? Do you want to be an 11-personnel team? What kind of body type can you find that creates that ambiguity as best as you can? Is Dawson or is, is Dalton Kincaid enough ambiguity with him being a flex-type player that can play big slot and, and you could put him on the backside on, on the perimeter and run a, a multi-route combos on the front side and just have him ISOed potentially on a safety if you're going to get man coverage on the backside? Those are the kinds of questions that, that when I think about their construction and who's the right kind of piece to bring in, I would want to have a definitive answer on before I definitively said, yeah, go get this type of guy or that type of guy. You could be hosting this show every day. We talk about the same thing, 11 personnel, 12 personnel, like what you're doing, what's your identity? It was just such a concentration on 12 personnel. They get Kincaid, and then they were actually better at only going 11 personnel last year right. when they did it, and he's such a, a fabulous player. So no doubt about that. I want you to hear something. This is um, – here we go. Josh, play it. I want Kyle to hear this. Go ahead. Oh, the train horn. Okay, Kyle. So what we do here is we have a thing called the – the wide receiver train, and that is the train horn for the wide receiver train. And our morning host, normally Jeremy White, who I'm filling in for today, uh, has coined it. So 
We are all pretty much aboard the wide receiver train in the draft. And uh, I know it might become it might be free agents, but looking at the draft. Let's take a look there. After what I just said about explosive players, I think that's where they'll target the wide receiver group in the draft. Who can we eliminate then? Like, who's not the guy that fits, okay, really good. He's going to maybe have a good NFL career, but he's not what the Bills are looking for if they're looking for an explosive player in the draft out of the top guys. Yeah, I, I think this is – there's guys that have explosive qualities and they, they create explosive plays, but I'm concerned about the sustainability of how their explosive plays are created and if that's going to carry over. I think a guy who is going to have carryover is a guy mm-hmm. like uh, the LSU wide receiver, Brian Thomas. I, I think he's somebody who works in the slot, works outside, big height, weight, speed guy, great ball skills down the field, but because he's inside-outside guy and, he, and he's worked some quick-hitting routes as well, you see a little bit more than just, okay, run on the vertical plane, extended play, or go up and make a catch. I'm a little bit more concerned about a guy like Keon Coleman out of Florida State who is a high weight speed type guy, but the route tree I thought for him was, was more raw and the explosive plays that he creates is contested catches or going up on extended plays over the middle of the field out of a scramble drill. So a little bit more like what you had with Gabe Davis, I, I guess, but I think for Buffalo, they should aspire to have a more dynamic player and a player that can beat you in more ways. And I know Gabe's had some good production, but that passing offense really facilitated some of that. So I think that's kind of the line in the sand that I, that I draw is I wouldn't want a height, weight, speed guy like Xavier Leggett out of South Carolina who has a lot of manufactured touchers, had a big-time glow-up this year from a production standpoint with Spencer Rattler, but doesn't really run a lot of routes at a high level. So I'm looking for route runners just as much as I'm looking for the, the guys who have the, the physical component of explosiveness to their game. Do you agree with the sentiment that the class is as deep as you've ever seen a receiver class and even the Bills picking as late as 28? Or even, like, it's not just them. I know the Chiefs at 32, I think everyone will probably be mocking them a receiver, at least, you know, most, I would bet, um, that there'll be guys available late first round that will suffice? Yeah, I think there's. this is about the third year running now where you're looking at maybe 15 top 100 wide receivers that you feel really good about that can step in right away and play. And and all of them don't because of the situations that they're in. But uh, I think you, you have a definitive top three with Harrison, Neighbors, and Adunze. And, and then you kind of get into uh, the, the tier two, which I think is in the conversation for teams like Buffalo and Kansas City. And that's Brian Thomas. Uh, I think Troy Franklin from Oregon. Six three body that, that's probably going to run four four and wins down the field is another type of that player. He's not as dense as some of the other guys that we've talked about. Um, I think Lad McConkey is a, a little bit of a different body type, but if he's he, he's bigger than Shakir, and he might be the best route runner in the class, so I wouldn't be surprised if he sneaks into the top forty. So there's quality here because there's quality of the spots. You're expecting the number of quarterbacks to go early. An incredible offensive line class, particularly at offensive tackle. Every team needs offensive tackles to some degree. Um, so I expect that offensive line density is going to allow probably this tier two of wide receivers to maybe get down into a run that starts at some point in the 20s. Joe, you got that. anything more on draft? We can move into the Dolphins. I, uh, yeah, I've got a question or two on the Dolphins, but yeah, I'm good on the draft. So if you, you go ahead. 
All right, yeah. Uh, no, that's one more, on, and then Joe, you can talk about the Dolphins. Ask Kyle that because um, the other issue, the other area Bills fans are looking at is if they don't get Daquan Jones back in free agency, what can they get maybe at defensive tackle, interior defensive tackle? Some even think maybe first round. Bills run a penetrating type system, as you know. You know, you want a guy that um, you know Ed Oliver is kind of a perfect fit, but you need someone next to him. What would you be looking at at twenty eight? I think Johnny Newton from Illinois is a really intriguing name. You wish maybe with Ed Oliver as the other name in there, he was a little bit more of a big body player. He's about 6'2", 295, 300, somewhere in that ballpark. But he's yep. the best penetrator in the class for my money. And he's uh, had a foot procedure this offseason that's going to prevent him from testing at the combine. So does that result in a little bit more of a slip where you, you don't go top 20 where you, you might otherwise um, – I think Chris Jenkins from Michigan is another not overly big player, but I think there's more for for him to tap into with his game as far as being a disruption-type player. And I know that's one of the things that kind of happened with Daquan when he got to Buffalo was I've been in all these control gap control defenses most of my career, and and now I get a chance to be disruptive and go make plays. And it's like, oh, this guy can do that and do it at a really high level. And and I think Chris Jenkins from Michigan has the opportunity to – have that kind of glow up as well uh, as far as projecting to the next level. And, and then I think there's a couple of Clemson defensive tackles. Tyler Davis is one. Rook, oh man, I, I want to get his name, last name right, or Hororo. Mm-hmm. Rook or Hororo, in the, I believe we were number 33 at Clemson. Uh, those guys are really, really nice day two options for penetration type defensive tackles. They're not the best consistently anchoring at the point of attack, they're lean body guys. But if you're looking for penetration, there, there's some options that I think could probably be there for you on day two if you, you miss out on the first round. A lot better on that last name than I would have done, just just saying that. <laughs> At Grinding the Tape, you can follow Kyle on Twitter there. He's the host of Locked on NFL Scouting. Check it out with Joe Marino. And also Locked on Dolphins. What is the most interesting thing to you about the Dolphins offseason? Is it... Should, is it the Wilkins? Will he stay or go? Or is that kind of a foregone conclusion? Is it will they pay Tua? Or I'm I'm also I'm kind of right in just bypassing anything I see about Jalen Waddle, right? Yeah. Okay. I think Man, the fact that the fact that the fan galaxy brain and Mike Tannenbaum galaxy brain got so big that it got up to Jalen Waddle just makes me so mad. <laughs> right. Yeah. Fourth-year wide receiver, he's like top 15 all-time in receiving yards to his first three career seasons. He's been behind Tyree Kill the last two years, and there's, we're, oh, trade Jayla Waddle. Yeah, okay, yeah. sure, why not? Yeah. I right. think the, the most interesting thing for Miami this offseason is what their big investment internally is going to be. They've got two expiring contracts on the offensive line, Connor Williams and Robert Hunt, and then they have Christian Wilkins at defensive tackle. Dan Graziano goes on ESPN. Uh, I had been under the impression, based on kind of getting a sense on how far apart Wilkins and the Dolphins were on their offer, that Wilkins was just going to go. And then Dan Graziano goes on ESPN this, this week and reports, you know, the Dolphins are prepared to use the franchise tag for Christian Wilkins. And then it's like, okay, are they, they're just going to put the entire interior offensive line through the shredder and figure out a way to build that thing up. Because Robert Hunt's probably going to be the top paid guard on the open market if he gets there. And Ben Powers, who Robert Hunt's a better player than, in my opinion, got $13 million per year last year. So if you franchise tag Christian Wilkins, you're not bringing that contract back into the fray because you're presumably trying to get a long-term contract done that's going to be $20-plus million per season. 
Connor Williams wants to be one of the top five paid centers in football. That's the stratosphere of $11, $12 million. When he's healthy, I think he is worth that amount. But you, you just have made other commitments at other spots for who your cornerstone players are going to be that makes the math impossible for, for I think it's either Wilkins or it's take your pick of who you want to acquiesce to the contract asks for on the offensive line. And right now it sounds like it's going to be the offensive line uh, that, that they, they build uh, build back up from the ground up on the inside. Their tackles are kind of locked in, but uh, that left guard through right guard is kind of a blank slate right now for them. And then quickly, before we let you go, do you think they'll pay Tua this offseason? Yeah, I think they will. Okay. Um, there seems to be motivation from both sides uh, to get a contract done. I know for this regime, uh, it would benefit them to not have the $23 million fifth-year option um salary cap hit on the books you can get a contract extension done i think where they're going to have to sort that out is where does the base or the annual average fall how much of it is guaranteed money is there any um interest in or willingness to put incentivized money in there as far as some of the questions with to include player availability right so i I think all of those things are, are what they're trying to work through but from everything that i've heard Uh, There seems to be an appetite on both sides for something to get locked in so that they're not potentially paying Wilkins on the tag and two of the fifth-year option price Mm -hmm. while they're so tight against the cap in the same year. All right, we'll see what happens. Kyle Krabs, Locked On Dolphins, Locked On NFL Scouting. Thanks, Kyle. I'm sure, uh, no offense, most Bills fans will probably pick you up on NFL Scouting more so than Dolphins. Yeah, I I get it. No worries. (laughs) Thanks, Kyle. Thanks, Thanks, guys. One of our favorites, Kyle Krabs on the Wester Hotline, thinks they'll pay Tua. All right, we'll see. Mm-hmm. See what that contract. Did you looks like. see? You've obviously seen the news. We've been talking about it all morning. Sean McDermott on the competition committee. Yes, I had that written down to get to with you. We'll uh, throw that around when we come back a little bit, and also you know some takeaways from what we just heard from Kyle and receiver and some of those cheaper free agent options. There's mm-hmm. going to be a lot of them, so a lot to get to. Jody Biasi, Sal Capaccio, your phone calls at eight oh three oh five fifty. Brian Koziel coming up at nine o'clock. Charlie Woods, another step in his career, the son of Tiger Woods, and also we'll get to some sabers, I'm sure, with Brian as well. All coming up, Jody Biasi, Sal Capaccio here on WGR. There's guys that have explosive qualities, and they they create explosive plays, but I'm concerned about the sustainability of how their explosive plays are created and if that's going to carry over. I think a guy who is going to have carryover, Brian Thomas. I I think he's somebody who works in the slot, works outside, big height-weight speed guy, great ball skills down the field, but because he's inside-outside guy and and he's worked some quick hitting routes as well, you see a little bit more than just, okay, run on the vertical plane, extended play, or go up and make a catch. Kyle Krabs, if you missed him in the last segment, find that on demand, WGR550.com. Rewind function on the Odyssey app as well. He liked uh, DJ Chark for the Bills, and I did some Googling and found that while, like, I, I don't know what you'd be getting from a player like that. He'd be cheap, which I guess is, you know, the appeal there. Chark ran, because he's a big body. Like, you might think of him more as that. He ran a 4-3-4 40 time, but 
I don't know how fast he still is because he's had a ton of injuries. And I don't know how much that's caught up with him. Like he so mm-hmm. ESPN does like their open score analytics stuff um each year for receivers and he had a 29 out of 100 for open score. Like he last year was more contested catch guy. So I don't know. If he if he still has the speed he once did, then maybe you think he's can be explosive, but I wonder if the injuries have caught up to him. Can, can I ask, like, what what would the, be the difference between paying him or Gabe Davis? <laughs> I, You're not going to pay him as much, but, I mean, like, what what are you doing? Yeah, I would expect it to be, like, almost vet minimum. Well, I guess I guess Spotrick has him at 10. I was oh, thinking, yeah, you're not getting vet no minimum, chance. DJ Chark. Man, I don't know, though. Like, he, he doesn't put up a lot of numbers. Like, I was thinking, like, a million or two million or three million, like... I, I was thinking bargain bin for him. I mean, he had five. Maybe bargain bin. What is bargain bin though? It doesn't have to be vet minimum. You're yeah. right. He's gonna. He's not gonna get as much as Gabe. My point is, yeah. does he do anything for you much more than Gabe did? You know what I mean? No, he would be right. Like I, I'm looking for what. What I like in whatever they do at, at receiver that isn't the draft is I, I used this term with Josh Reed yesterday when he was on with us. The insurance policy. Like mm-hmm. who's my guy? I can get for. Like to me, the right dollar might be like five million. Can I get a guy for under five million dollars? That's just going to be my break class, break glass in case of emergency. Which is, uh oh, the rookie is not who we thought he was, or the rookie needs, you know, is going through some growing pains. He might need a couple of games to get his feet wet, or just I need, I need depth, right? I need depth at an important position. I need to replace maybe Trent Sherfield, or if they get rid of Deontay Hardy, I'm going to need another body. Um, I like. A veteran that is just not going to cost much, but is still, you know, someone that plays in the league. That 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 to me is Chark. Chark, like I like Davis. If Davis, if I can get Davis for five million bucks, I'd rather have him than DJ Chark, because again, Chark can't stay healthy. That's where I'm at. Do you believe the Bills would love to have Gabe Davis back? I mean, obviously not at the rate in which he's going to cost, right? I'm just saying, like in a yep. in a general sense, would they like to have him on their roster? Would they love to be able to work something out if it worked for both parties? I think they'd like to have him back. I I think it where I think there could be a gap is what they would see his role being. You know, like mm-hmm. that that is still that is still my what I get tripped up on. Yeah is if they truly want to get more explosive, if they want to take more attention away from Stephon Diggs and all the bracketing and all the double teams that he saw last year, and maybe he's not the premier top five receiver in football anymore that's able to overcome that as easily as he once was. And I might want to think they act on that more so than they act on how much they love Gabe Davis. I don't doubt that they love Gabe Davis, but I think I want to trust that Bean knows that what they're getting from Davis isn't, it's not enough. They can be better at that position. So that, that where I land is they'd like to have him back, but they will not, they will not commit to him just being the outright number two receiver, 95% of the snaps, and that's it. Like, I think they want to be better there. No? I agree with that. I, I I can't go as far as, like, I just think they want to separate and feel that, well, we just need to move on. 
I, I think they do. They there's a lot of intrinsic love for Gabe Davis for what he does, and they think you know they've seen a lot of really nice plays, but there's been inconsistencies, of course. I I think what's happening here is I'm realizing that I feel more that they like him mm-hmm. more than a lot of other people seem to, and I could be wrong. Like I thought, and I and I think and I do think the Bills would love to kind of work something out if they could, but it would have to be at a you know much lower rate. I mean, if Gabe Davis came to the Bills right now and said, let's just throw something wildly hypothetical, it's not going to happen. Here's my point. If he said, yeah, I'll come back on $3 million a year, you don't think Brandon Bean says, of course, we would definitely do that. Yeah, no, I, I, think, you, I think that for sure, yes. Okay, um, so, it is, it, so, so, so to me, like that's where I'm coming from, which is they'd love to have him on the roster. They just know that they, they're not going to be able to pay him or their value they yep. have on him is not going to match the value he has on himself. Yep. But I, what I would wonder is, are they okay being... Because what I would, it would be more of a worry for me, and I think for fans. I think what Davis could imply if they were to re-sign him, especially with it coming before the draft, would be this worry from fans that, oh no, they're gonna, they think they could be the exact same at receiver next year. Like that's what would scare mm-hmm. me is mm-hmm. they bring Davis back and don't feel as much pressure, don't feel. You know, that they need to draft a receiver in the same way, and therefore it increases the chances that they walk into next season the same at that position that they were this year. And that would terrify me, which is why well, I'm, I'm rooting against them paying Davis. I would love, in a perfect scenario, I've said this, like the, my favorite version of the Bills was when Davis was a part of the receiving core. But they mm-hmm. had Sanders or they had John Brown next to him, and they had that four-man group that had yeah. a little bit of everything, a little bit of every skill set to it. And since Davis has taken over as the number two, they haven't had that. If I can get back to, I got that four-man group, and Davis is still playing and still playing a lot and getting targets, but he's not on the field every snap. He's not just the clear-cut number two then I, I would be okay with that if I can get back to that place. But, man, I would really have doubts that they, that they would be willing to do that if they bring Davis back. Does that make sense? 100%. And one of those guys would be Cole Beasley, obviously, in that four-man group. Right. right? So you're, you're talking about a really elite slot guy um, doing a lot of things that <laughs> this team wanted to get back to doing in some way. And that's why they drafted Dalton Kincaid, sort of, right? And Khalil Shakir has really done a nice job mm-hmm. to step up. So I think they're figuring out that spot on the field. I don't even call it slot receiver because it can be Dalton Kincaid as well. Um, as you know, Joe, we you know talked about the state of the position series and wide receivers and running backs. I just posted tight ends last night, too. So I have tight ends. Mm-hmm. And what's crazy is I go and do the tight ends, WGR550.com. It's completely the opposite of wide receiver. Now, you may think that Dawson Knox is overpaid. I totally understand that. But he's not going anywhere. It just costs the team way too much money Mm -hmm. to do that. But what I mean by the opposite, they have no questions at tight end. Like, they're completely set there. They have Dalton Kincaid, Dawson Knox. Quentin Morris is a nice role player. He's an exclusive rights free agent. So Mm -hmm. just got to give him a minimum deal, basically. But they have that set. So, you know, you don't have to worry about which kind of guy is going to be there, whatever. The the two pass-catching positions completely the opposite right now and I do expect Dalton Kincaid still to fill more of that void even of what you're talking about the four men on the field because of what we saw towards the end of the year and if you look and I put the numbers in when Dawson Knox returned from his injury 
he only outsnapped Dalton Kincaid in one game, and I think Dalton had to leave that game early with a potential injury. That was uh, that was it. Otherwise, it was the Dalton Kincaid show. Yeah, yeah, and I saw you writing about this. So, like, really, the questions at tight end are more about what, like, what the next step is for Kincaid, like how much he can grow, and that will impact Knox's role, um, right? And that that matters to the slot position too. Like I mentioned, a four man group that they had in like 2020, they had Knox. They didn't have a Kincaid. They still have Knox. Like Kincaid is just kind of added in to that equation already. And I, you know, I really wonder like what his ceiling is because he's, you know, he's a little older. He's 24 years old, but he was a rookie and he had a slow start and he still managed to have 91 targets and you know just under 700 yards was like one of the best 10 rookie tight end seasons ever just in terms of yardage. Um, or it was reception. 73 was where he was top 10. But either way, he was a, you got going there. And if there's a star tight end in there, which, you know, I'm in, I'm looking around at some of these, uh, these dynasty fantasy rankings, you know, in the next couple of months, and he's like top three, top four. Like he's being drafted like in fantasy, or he's going to be this, this offseason. Like people expect him to be one of the best tight ends in football. And, Man, if they get that this year, like I, I don't, I guess I don't even know what that will look like. Like Knox, I guess would play less, but we kind of have to re. Don't we have to kind of redo everything in our minds of like what you need at slot and what Shakir's targets need to be and what you know Diggs' targets need to be because we haven't seen a Josh Allen offense with like a, a star tight end in it. That's right. Well, I mean, hey. Star tight end. I mean, can we? I you know what's funny to me, Joe. Real quick, I know we got to hit a break. Yep. When I did the when I did it, I called his season last year historic. Is that right? Yeah. By by receptions, it was a historic rookie tight end season. Yes, it was. He had he he broke the Bills rookie receiving record. Yep. For any position, breaking Sammy Watkins, he broke the Bills tight end record for any year, breaking Pete Metzelars, and he was fourth in the NFL ever. With rookie tight end receptions, he's he's going to be the best Bills tight end ever. Yep, like I, we all feel pretty confident in that. Like he's going to be the best Bills tight end ever. I think not that the bar is like extremely high. I agree that. with that. Eight hundred three hundred five fifty is the phone number. Did not get to Sean McDermott in the competition committee. We'll do that when we come back. Brian Koziel coming up at nine o'clock. It's Jeremy and Joe. Jeremy off today. This is WGR. It's a Friday. It's also... Whose birthday, Josh? Brad Whitford, guitarist of Aerosmith. Aerosmith. 71. Sal, you're an Aerosmith guy? I am. I am an Aerosmith guy. I'm not like hardcore Aerosmith. I really like them, though. And, um, Mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, you know, but they were a band well before even... I remember them growing up, right? Because they started in the seventies, mm-hmm. I think maybe even sixties, but seventies. And um, but you know, then the they were still rock and roll in the late eighties, nineties, obviously even early two thousands. And I think they're still know, going. Yeah, they're still. Yeah, they are still going. They're still That's touring right. somewhere. Amazing. They're still touring. Oh my somewhere. gosh. Uh, so in fact, actually, were they not here recently, That's or right. were actually so. upcoming? Someone will someone will tweet that at me. So Sean McDermott is on the competition committee, Sal. Yeah, so the commissioner, I guess from what I've read, the commissioner selects the competition committee. And I don't think there's a set number all the time, but there's eight right now. He's one of eight. 
uh, Sean McVay and Sean McDermott both were named to the competition committee yesterday. Um, so they joined a whole bunch of people who've been on it. Mike Tomlin's been on it for a while. And I don't know, are they replacing, like, was Bill Belichick on it, I think? So now that he's not a head coach and he's not in an executive position, he's not on mm-hmm. it anymore, right? So I think that's how it works. You have to be someone like that who's actually involved with a team um, in some capacity because everybody on it's really involved with the team. And now he's on the competition committee, so he'll be on the the committee that really kind of gathers the data on different rules, technology, instant replay, injury, and you kind of discuss those rules, and then you bring it to the next step, which might be rules proposals at owners' meetings, and then you know league wide stuff. So he's on that committee now. Which uh, does that mean we can't make the joke about Don Shula anymore? That Don Shula was on the competition committee. <laughs> well, we can only not make the joke if Sean McDermott and the Bills start getting a lot of calls go their way, the way Don Shula did. <laughs> Which, the by the way, committee. actually, maybe yes. you still can because I saw the list of who's on the competition committee, and Chris Greer, the Dolphins GM, is one that is on the uh, on the competition committee. There you go. Well, I do. I it did trigger in my mind though. Is there an advantage to a head coach in some capacity down the rabbit hole being on the competition committee? And I think there can be. Or even an executive. There might be rules that like they have to digest all these different things. There may be a loophole in a rule that maybe another coach doesn't really know, but because you're on the competition committee and mm-hmm. it's been brought up, maybe you know and something happens in a game where you take advantage of it. Hmm. That's a that's a good uh that's a good point. So it's it can only be seen as an advantage, I think. I think. It, I it, think so, yeah. Yeah. Although I will say not I don't I don't think this has to be misconstrued as a bad thing, but Sean McDermott's got a lot of hats these days, right? He's mm, he's the head coach. Right. He's the you know defensive coordinator. Again, we'll see what play calling looks like there. But he was last year. Now he's on the competition committee, so he's got a lot of stuff going on. Eight hundred three zero five fifty is the phone number. It is one. It's the one year anniversary of. I would say a smaller anniversary than what you had yesterday. You had the miracle on ice. You had the brawl. Mm-hmm. You had Pagula taking over the team. But it is a notable one-year anniversary. Sal was there. And we'll tell you what that is when we come back with Brian Cozio. We'll talk some Sabres with Brian, but, of course, some golf, too. Charlie Woods is uh, taking a step, Tiger's son, in his golf career. All that coming up here on WGR. Cuts to the middle. Good stick by Labushkin. No penalty on the play. And a break here for Labushkin. Ilya Labushkin looking for his first to the Sabres. Scores! Are you kidding me? Bushin overtime with his first goal in 44 games. One year ago. You might not have the same chills as you did yesterday when we played back the brawl, but you still might get some chills. That was one year ago, the Ilya Labushkin goal, which will be an amazing trivia question for your Sabre friend fans in 10 years. Uh, and Sal Capaccio, we have Brian Cozio, by the way, also on the Western Hotline. We'll talk Sabres and golf with him. Sal, you were there, right, for that game? Yep, that was during February break last year. Uh, we're on February break now. We actually took a trip down to... Uh, Florida, spent a couple days in Orlando, and went to the Sabres-Lightning game in Tampa. I was there. I have a great story about that, but I want to welcome in Brian first and, um, you know, get his thoughts as well because it was a a really cool memory. And and when I saw that this morning, I'm like, you know, that was a really good night. So, yeah. Anyway, welcome in Brian as well. We were all feeling – we talk a lot about recently, like, how all the feeling has gone away again. 
for the Sabres. But one year ago, we were all we were all like fist pumping in our living rooms, probably for that. Yeah, goal. yeah, that game last year was incredible, and then it was followed up two nights later in Florida That's with right. Craig Anderson's fifty. I don't know if it, yes. I know they changed the total fifty or fifty one yeah. save performance, which actually then put them in a playoff spot. I know. Joe, I think you know we were talking about this a few weeks ago of like, hey, when were the Sabres last in a playoff spot? And for that one moment that night, uh, they were in, based upon the tiebreakers, they were in a spot. Um, yeah, these two games last year, the Tampa and the Florida game, to me was like the launching pad of, okay, they're really in this race. And then, of course, we know pretty much soon after that, they went through a dry spell to start March, but then they got back and they got red hot at the end of the season, which we know landed ultimately uh one point short so that was uh that was that was for me those two games the back-to-back games that that labushkin that wild game in tampa was that an that was overtime overtime yeah 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 and then the sabers blew a two goal lead in the third period by the way and i thought okay that's it it's over and then tampa got a power play yeah it's an overtime it's a i'm watching the clip again now it's a four on three and Mm -hmm. It's it's that remember there was a little bit of this after where like did Labushkin trip Stamkos or not but whatever they didn't that's right yeah and he's like he's gets the puck at his own blue line and the Sabers benches up because the whole way it's like okay you kind of have like three or four you have like three seconds to digest oh my god here comes Ilya Labushkin on a breakaway. <laughs> Shorthanded in overtime, Short-handed by the way, right? I mean, no doubt. Uh, you're right, Brian. It was uh, they. Then they beat Washington. Then they lose ten of twelve. Right, right after that, which is yeah. how they fell back out of it. So, real quick story on the game. So, we go down for uh, winter break. We're there, and we were we we met some friends there. Go to the game, and it was just a, a great game. By the way, that arena. Have you ever been there? Oh my God, Emily Arena. Like the scoreboard is the largest scoreboard I've ever seen in an NHL arena. It's incredible, and it was really. It was a cool atmosphere. It was back and forth, high scoring. Sabres blow a lead. I'm like, all right, this is it. I'm with Max. He's sitting next to me with my wife. We have we brought a huge Sabres, you know, banner like a flag. And every time the Sabres would score, we jump up and we do it. We're just we were great fans that night. We're just being fans, rooting for our Buffalo team. A lot of Buffalo fans in the building. When he scores, I mean, we're just going crazy, guys. Right? We're in like the second levels, 200, and it's going crazy. And I'm. It's one of those joys, you know, you go to sporting events, we all, we cover events, we're at events, we're in the press box, whatever, like, I'm in the stands with my son at an away game, we are just going crazy. It was an amazing experience. So, we're walking out, and sure enough, you have people who just want to tell you, trash Buffalo, whatever, all the different things, you, go back to Buffalo, Buffalo this, Buffalo that, snow, cold, everything. And there's this one dude, you always got to have that one dude, just one dude, who sees me and my son, who at the time is nine years old, Walking out with our flag, cheering on the Sabres, and he's got to give us the one-finger salute. And he's got to tell us to go back to Buffalo and go back where he mm. came from. And I turn around, I'm like, bro, I got my kid with me. What are you doing? I don't care. Blah, 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 blah. Go back. I said, all right. And I pulled out my phone. I go, you're about to be internet famous. <laughs> and I took his picture because I was heated in the moment. And I'm not going to get in a fight or anything like that. And I never posted it. And I'm never going to post it because I thought, you know what? I'm not going to be the guy that ruins this person's, you know, job or something like that. But it, you know, it was one of those moments of, ah, you know, maybe I should do it. I didn't. I still have the picture on my phone, so the guy, it's still in there. But I've never posted it. But we went back to the hotel, had a great time. I mean, when when has anyone ever had a reason to, uh, you know, flip the bird to uh, a saber fan in the last ten years? Though, like, hey, that's that's returning to. 
you know, re- normalcy, <laughs> I guess, a little yeah. bit on some level. So, I don't know. How have you taken in the last two days, Brian, with all the – there's a lot of nostalgia in the air. Yeah, I, I, I think, you know, listening to uh, to Bulldog and Nate yesterday, I thought that was really a big piece of what everybody's clamoring for is this – you know, they were asking, you know, what do you miss most – about the Sabres being in it yesterday and, so, and some really good stories. And, you know, a lot of it even had to do with things of like what Sal had said, like, oh, going to the game with your kids or, or meeting up with, you know, meeting up with your buddies at a, at a sports bar or the party in the plaza scene or, um, you know, a lot of it involved kind of the common theme that we hear all the time about what's been so great about the Bills lately is shared experiences Good memories, even through the frustrations of rooting for your team, maybe in the down moments, but you're you're doing it all together. And there hasn't been a lot of these moments with the Sabers where you are there, you know, with family, friends, whoever, at a certain location, even if you're in the arena, and it's all it's been that hype. And we've had just so long before. I mean, the, the joke of the meaningful game in March March uh, mm-hmm. line that Jason Bottrell had, like we've we last year there was a little piece of that. And, you know, had there just been maybe a, another win or two and some home playoff games, I wonder how we view this season if we if we view it differently. If they had gotten in last year, mm-hmm. like is yeah. is the disappointment level maybe uh, steered differently? Because I think right now a lot of this is steered at the fact of like, well, is Kevin Adams the right GM and is Don Granato the right coach, which is kind of unfortunately the conversation now we've been having for the last decade with about, you know, with whoever seems to be in there in the current status and their jobs. Uh, whereas I feel like we wouldn't be having that conversation um, had the Sabres gotten in. Similar to how the Bills broke the drought, they had that playoff clunker against Jacksonville. Had they gone in and even just had a terrible first round and maybe, you know, gotten swept by the Bruins or maybe even if they, you know, won a game. Whatever. But I mm-hmm. think had had they made it, we would have been like, okay, these guys broke through. They've proven they can do it. Maybe this year with injuries and other things, they might have gotten a little less of uh, of a heat. And now we're yep. right back to should we change the coach and GM again? And I just, you know, I, I'm just obviously we we all are tired of having this endless cycle of same conversation of figuring out whether the the guys that are in charge yeah. are they in the right spot and you know are they the right guys to ultimately breakthrough there would have been less pressure on them I think no doubt I think one difference I think the 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 effect would have been the same as when the bills made it like monkey off your back droughts over you know a little bit less pressure this these are the guys though like we we talked about a little bit this morning I put a poll up like you you are right I think it's more about the coach and the GM but last year there was a belief, even when it looked like they might miss, I think, that this core of players, like, they will get there. They will break the drought. They'll this will be the team that it will someday happen that these guys will return them to contention. And a year later, like again, the coach and GM will come first for this, but until this core of players proves it, I think there will still even be questions about can you be a great team? Can you, you know, what what's your team look like when these players that you've invested in are your your core? And they're not going anywhere. That's the other thing, Brian. Like this is the core group of players. Like they're not going anywhere. Yeah, that's the thing is that Kevin Adams has made a commitment to them. And, you know, got a lot of praise in the offseason, oh, locking up Dylan Cousins, locking up Owen Power, locking up Rasmus Dahlin. 
Uh, we know Thompson is locked up here long term. Uh, for the foreseeable future, other than Casey Middlestat, um, if they want this group to stay together, it pretty much can happen. And if they want Casey Middlestat to stay with this group, it can happen. They have the cap room for it. Um, they don't have to give him a, an eight-year huge deal if they don't want to. They, I'm sure that something in between might work to get that done to keep him here. So if they want to keep this together, um, it can happen, which, you know, and a lot of times a lot of other cities or a lot of other teams – they have to at some point make those hard decisions because of cap reasons. Well, the Sabres have figured out a way, at least for the for the short-term future, to keep this group together if they want it. Um, and that goes back to things that, you know, I, I feel like, why are we getting the inconsistency? At some point, Don Granato, I feel like, can only be held so much for this. Like, does he have to, quote, get them ready to play every single night? He definitely is near the top of the list, if not on the top of the list, for uh, why this team has struggled so much in games to start. I mean, you know, we know they've been one of the worst first period teams, if the not worst team in the first period in games this year, and he definitely deserves accountability for that. But at some point over the course of, you know, now we're heading towards 60 games here, like it's got to be on that group in there too. They've got to figure that out. Um, I wonder too, you know, again, not trying to figure out what are the reasons why this year. Um, this The group that seemed to be, that carried this team last year, Thompson and Tuck um, and Skinner and Cousins and the emergence of Paterka and Quinn. Like, are they ready to, to kind of take over this team? Well, Kevin Adams maybe didn't think so. Bringing back Oposo, bringing back Gergensons. We, you know, obviously brought in another veteran in Eric Johnson. Mm-hmm. Maybe he thought they weren't quite ready to, quote, lead the way. I got to imagine if Dylan Cousins is in charge of this team or Alex Tuck or is in charge of this team, I mean, I guess I'll throw Rosso Stalin in this mix too. Like, I, I guess the, the accountability factor for how poor they've started games or, or for how they've been so inconsistent, I, I think those are guys that you kind of would want leading. But, you know, maybe I'm off base. Maybe you have to bring in a guy that's a captain from somewhere else that can really get this team ready because Don Granado hasn't been able to figure it out on a consistent basis. When they play, I'll, you know, I'll quote Paul here, when they play the game that Granado wants them to play, they are quite good. Uh, but for not for them to not only be able to do it one out of every three nights, like that clearly isn't good enough. Uh, we, we talked about one other name. Would you entertain the idea of trading UPL right now? He's going to be an RFA. You have Devin Levi in the system, and he might not play any better than this. We don't know. <sighs> That's a tough decision. I mean, probably... If you're ending the season today, who's the team MVP for this year? It's Lukanen. Hmm. I mean, you're just going to turn around point. and trade him? I mean, I we've been begging since Ryan Miller for, what, stellar goaltender play? Is there, okay, you know, I guess what's what's the question here? Is he more likely to go back to the Lukanen of last year, or is he more likely to stay on this path? Hmm. Goalies are... You know, this this question with goaltenders is almost impossible, right, to figure it out. Yep. If we've got, you know, one year where he legitimately spent his full time in the NHL and he was very inconsistent, we saw very good and we saw very bad. Uh, this year he's been, I'll use the word outstanding. I think he really has. I th- considering um, the injuries they've had defensively, you know, Matias Samuelson's missed half the season. They've been out without Owen Power. Darlene's even missed a handful of games here and there. Uh, I think considering how they've had that inconsistency out in front of him, I think he's been outstanding. We've been asking for goalies for years to make the big save. Uh, I think there's a piece of me that's hesitant to like go all in on Lukanen and it has nothing to do with him. And shame mm-hmm. on me maybe for even thinking this. 
is that Levi was is supposed to be the shiny prospect with all the high ceiling and, and the potential, and to think like, well, if you commit longer to Lucan, and then that are you are you shutting the door on that at least for the immediate future? And I I guess it doesn't does it have to be both? I don't think so. I think you can keep Lucan in and still hope that Devin Levi, who mm-hmm. I think autumn I think almost automatically becomes the other goalie here next year. I don't think Eric Comrie will be back as a part of the equation. So is there anything wrong with maybe having Lucan and Ann Levi as your two goalies? And if Levi springs to the potential that he maybe could, that you know, maybe he reaches a higher ceiling than Lucanin, well, then all the better. Maybe you have a, a chip there that, that could be worth something to mm-hmm. help you somewhere else. So I, I guess, I guess to, the long-winded answer here to your question is um, – Based upon his commitment, his maturity, some of the things he said he did to improve his game, I, I feel like I'm willing to bank on Lukanen at least being closer to what we've seen this year than what we saw last year. Yeah, and Brit, I mean, if I were setting betting odds on like what happens with him, I would think Bridge Deal is like a monster favorite, right? Like over trading yeah. him, and I also don't think they're gonna go. I mean, they've done it with other players, but they're not gonna go give him like a seven year contract. I, I don't think yeah. so. I think Bridge Sal, deal. I think yeah, and I th- I think Sal like we, I'm almost thinking the same about Middlestat. Like Middlestat could still get right. better, and he's put up outstanding offensive numbers this year, and his two way efforts seem to be better. Not perfect, but better. He seemed you know early in his career we said man this guy can't win any puck battles. He's been doing a lot better job of that. But by mo- removing if you traded Middlestat, that doesn't necessarily he, it's not like he's taking a spot. Like it's yeah, I mean it's it's a spot on the team, but. It's not like, well, who's going who's gonna to play that spot now? With goalie, it's different. Like, well, who's going to be the goalie? Now you're really going all in on Devin Levi and praying that it works. Um, whereas I think with, um, with moving Lucan in, I'd, I'd be a little bit more hesitant. If you asked me which of the two, I know you didn't, but <laughs> you said who would be the, the, of the two that I would be willing to trade. It would be middle step before I would move Lucan in. And I'm not saying that middle step's not valuable. I just think because of the goaltender right. position mm-hmm. being what it is and because the Sabres have been searching for anything in there since Ryan Miller, I think that's where I would go. Brian calls you on the West Her hotline. What is going on with Charlie Woods, Tiger's son, all over the there's just just lots of stories out there, fans interaction, his play, kind of sum it up. Like what's been going on? Why is he so much in the news? Yeah. So anyway, so Charlie, who is playing, you know, junior golf, I guess we'd call it at this point, um, is 15 year, just turned 15, and decided this week. We know we've seen him in the father son tournament with Tiger. We know we've seen him here and there at some other events, but he decided this week to try and qualify for the PGA Tour event this week, which is in Palm Beach. Um, it's the old Honda Classic that has been there forever. It is a new sponsor name this year, but anyway, doesn't matter for that. But he's trying to get in that event. And this week's field um, is not, it's not an elevated event on the PGA Tour, so there is an opportunity to maybe see, you know, maybe you'd call it a weaker field, a chance that maybe he could get in. So anyway, he went and tried, they call it a PGA Tour pre-call, pre-qualifier round if he performs well enough that gets him into um kind of a what would be a monday playoff with this group to see who would get in the last couple of spots um i thought the odds were definitely very low for him to do this um but he's shown that now since he's grown a little he can handle maybe the length of what would be playing a full-size pga tour course of you know 7200 yards 7300 yards i mean that's that's quite a bit different 
Um, but he's been showing that he's been playing these tees. Anyway, he went and played in this PGA Tour pre-qualifier yesterday um, and had a bad hole. He had a 12 on a par 4 um, and ended up shooting 86, which is plus 16. Now you take that 12 away and give him a par, that's 8 better. That gives him a 78, which we've seen players on the PGA Tour in PGA Tour events shoot a 78, and that just, you know, they equate that to be a bad day. For a 15-year-old playing in what would probably be his most pressure-packed moment, I would say that would have been a, a very, very, very impressive score. Charlie Woods is very good, but um, I don't know if maybe it was a little premature to all of a sudden give this a shot. And I'm very curious to know how much influence Tiger had his father in on the decision. Earl Woods almost went the opposite route. He -hmm. had said growing up with Tiger that he said, look, we are not moving on from step A to step B until you are dominating step A. Then we'll go to step B. Then when you dominate B, then we'll go to C, essentially in terms of where he would move up uh, in his golf career and his path to, to being a professional. Charlie obviously really shot high for this. Uh, the odds were low. I mean, kudos for him for doing this. And I know yesterday there was quite a bit of social media talk because, unfortunately, there were spectators there that did not handle the situation well either. And that was kind of a side story to this as well, which made probably Charlie's already extremely stressful day even worse. Yeah. He's, yeah. I mean, with that added to it, I mean, there's social media stuff too. I mean... There are other athletes, sons, I'm sure, like, Bronny James is probably dealing with this now. Like, just got to be impossible expectations, like, that he'll 99.9% never live up to. Because what are the expectations? Your last name is Woods. You better be Tiger, right? Right. I mean, and this kid's, you're right. I mean, think think about the pressure on him to perform well. And anything less than him making the PGA Tour, people are going to call a failure, which is very sad when you think about how many people make the PGA Tour in the world. I mean, we're talking just a, you know a couple of hundred are eligible to play on the PGA Tour for the entire globe. Like this, you know, it's it's very unfair expectations. Now, Charlie obviously has some advantages that the average kid would not have for sure. Um, however, he's super talented. He's super young. And I just want to hit the pause button on everybody saying, like, this guy's, you know, he's never going to make it. Or, look, at he couldn't handle spectators yesterday walking by his group. And, like, no. I just, I, I thought it was a little too early for maybe for him to do this. I'm not, I'm not, uh, say, you know, I would have maybe mm-hmm. advised against it. But, you know, kudos for him. It was a, a brave moment for him. Uh, he had a bad hole and obviously didn't shoot the score that he wanted to. Um, but shame on the adults for kind of who ruined the experience. Just seeing some of the social media posts, how they said that they were actually grabbing the, his golf ball on some holes. Yeah. He had to like deal with officials saying like, well, what do I do? They, I guess people were even asking, you know, trying to take pictures and ask for autographs in the middle of the round. And, you know, these normal qualifiers, literally, you know, there might be somebody's mom or dad or brother like watching. That's it. Like there's, you know, you wouldn't even know this was happening uh, at a local course, except for the fact that it was Tiger's kid. So all of a sudden now there's cameras and there's spectators. And they said, you know, it was 50 to 100 people. They were kind of estimating at times were on the holes. But they because no, normally nobody is here for these events, there wasn't ropes or anything. There wasn't, you know, there wasn't like course security. And mm. some of the adults did not handle it well. And, you know, shame on them for maybe making what would have been a very – a stressful day for him coming in, making it worse. So, uh, you know, that part of it I feel like I'm, I'm really annoyed at. 
the last uh, thing I wanted to get to you with uh, with golf. Did you? What did you think of the Masters inviting live golfer Joaquin Neiman to the tournament? Did they open up a can of worms here? Was just kind of like a, you know, just you do it. He's been good on that tour, and he's been good on the PGA in the past. So there's not much here. Like, I guess how was it even surprising? I guess that they did that. Surprising, no, because the Masters can really just do whatever the heck they want and get okay. away with it because they're the Masters. You know, like right. they have no, they have no ties to any other governing body, the USGA who makes the rules, or the, um, or the PGA Tour, or Live, or anybody. Like they just, it's this is their event. They can do it however they want. So in that sense, no, I wasn't surprised. Uh, but I think to what you're going to here is yes, this now also can open up in the future. Like, well, this guy's not officially. Got the world qualifying for it. Now, he won the Australian Open, which in the past they have invited the winner to. So I guess that maybe, if you want to go on past precedence, when he won the Australian Open golf tournament, that's maybe what picked up, uh, you know, kind of, I guess would say, locked in the Masters to say, look, we're going to open up this invite because we have to the past. Now, he happens to be a live player with not enough world golf ranking points, but because he won this event, we've given it to winners that have won this event before. Um, so that's kind of where they followed suit. I, weird when Neiman won a couple of weeks ago on the Live Tour, the first thing that he answered was, "I, you know, you know, the, the reporter said, you know, how great is it that you won? And his response immediately is, well, I'm not in the majors. Like, mm, you can yeah. tell these players are still wanting to get back into those events. Um, John Rahm was really, really uh, kind of... In uh, his interviews, saying how he, oh, I miss Tory Pines, I miss Pebble Beach, I, he, you know, he's, <laughs> he wasn't able to defend his championship at the Waste Management Open, like all these things, um, that you mm-hmm. wonder, like, well, you took, you made the big, choice, right? You took a big chunk of money knowing you couldn't play in these events, so like, I don't feel sorry for him. I wish John Rahm would have made the other decision because I like watching him and I would have yeah. rather have seen him play every week, but. Some of these guys got to understand, hey, this is kind of the, the road they went down. Ultimately, in the end, for these major names, they want to make sure they're in the majors. Well, Rahm's going to be there forever because he won, so he has the exemption. You know, Neiman doesn't have the exemption, so this is his chance. He has a good chance if he finishes well at the Masters that this could qualify him for some other majors to get in. So now it's back in his court, which I guess is really all he could ask for. Tita Green Saturday? Yeah, it's our first show tomorrow morning, 7 to 8 a.m., and yes. uh, we'll be at Golf Dojo this week, so we're looking forward to being there. And, uh, yeah, it will be going the first of 28 straight Saturday mornings all the way through Labor Day in September. So uh, we are looking forward to that. We're super happy to be back. And thanks to both of you and everybody at the station for uh, promoting Tita Green. And, uh, you know, you know that myself and, and Jeff Metis, Kevin Sylvester, Jeff Blank, our team, like we love, 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 love doing it. And we only get an hour on Saturday mornings, but it's – it's our favorite hour of the week, so we're super excited. Hope everybody can tune in tomorrow, 7 to 8. We'll get everybody else's opinion on Charlie Woods and all that and uh, look ahead to uh, what's going to be a great month of March on the PGA Tour. Uh, Players' Championship's only two weeks away, and that really, I feel like, gets people going and wanting people to play here in Western New York, too. Look, we're going to have a couple days of 60 degrees next week. Who knows? Maybe it'll be another day where people can get out and play. Well, I'm, I'm optimistic. It's not, it's, by the way, it's not just March. How about the, the schedule this year? you got the Masters, obviously, at Augusta. PGA Championships at Valhalla. U.S. Opens at Pinehurst, British Open at Royal Troon. Got some great venues this year, Brian. Yeah, really, really is. And, you know, coming off of last year's PGA Championship at Oak Hill, wherever, where a lot of people that are listening went to the event, um, you know, I'm sure they'll be more excited to 
mm-hmm. you know, share those memories here as they start to watch some of these big tournaments of, oh, I remember standing right next to this guy, you know, those sort of things. You'll, you'll, uh, you'll have those memories for a long time, which is great. And hopefully maybe we'll get some news soon, too, that maybe Oak Hill's going to get another PGA or a U.S. Mm-hmm. Open at some point soon here during this calendar year. TD Green tomorrow, 7 to 8 a.m., then uh, Sabres Blue Jackets tonight. Thanks, Brian. Yep. Talk to you guys uh, pregame tonight uh, for the Blue Jackets game. Appreciate it. All right. Pregame tonight at 6 o'clock. Sabres at Columbus. And then Tita Green tomorrow at 7. Yeah, he's... Man, the weather's pretty mild. You know, golf's not far away. There Two weeks ago, I was driving past a golf course, and there were people out on the course in February. Or uh, maybe it was in January at that point. So... Maybe you've already gotten out. Well, I was just checking my good old weather app last night, Mm -hmm. and there was a 60 that snuck in the next 14 days. Nice. Nice. Love it. Time out here. When we get back, maybe reset our uh, Sabres conversation a little bit. We've got phone lines open at 803-0550. Zach and Josh will have the Extra Point Show today at 10 o'clock. There's also a... There's this. There's a couple of business sportsy news stories in the last 24 hours that I want to mention before we get out of here. There's one in the NHL with the Dallas Stars, and there's another one with college football and the uh, and the video game. So we'll get to that as well. Jody Biasi, Sal Capaccio here in WGR. Ladies and gentlemen, the weekend. Friday. Here comes the weekend. Get a Sabres game tonight. Get a Sabres game on Sunday. NBA and everything else happening right now. Jody Diossi, Sal Capaccio, Jeremy White off today. We'll be back on Tuesday. There's a bunch of business stuff happening in the sports world. I think is interesting on a couple of different stories. One of which I already had been arguing with a couple of friends back and forth about. And I hadn't even seen, Sal just brought it to my attention, former Bill Harrison Phillips and Bill's long snapper Reed Ferguson's brother, Blake Ferguson, were getting into it, or I don't even want to say getting into it, just they were tweeting about the story that the college football uh, video game for EA Sports, which is scheduled to come out softly in, uh, in July, players can opt in for their name, image, and likeness to be a part of the game for $600 and to receive a free copy of the game. And so, Sal, what, what basically was said between Ferguson and, so, and Phillips? So you guys, what, what sparked me on this was you and Jeremy were talking about this yesterday, maybe? Yeah. The, the NCAA, the players getting paid, right? Yep. $600, correct? Yep. Right? That's what it is. Um, and Blake Ferguson saying, dude, $600 is ridiculously low and he said it's shameful he said here's why as nfl players they get 30 to 35 grand per year to be in the madden video game mm-hmm. and you assume there's three thousand players in the game that's well over 90 million dollars they're paying out he said you go and go to the ncaa game which is going to sell the same amount if not more because i haven't even had it in 10 years and you can divide that 90 million by sixteen thousand players across division one it should still be well over 5K per player. So that's what you should be getting. Okay. So then Harrison Phillips responds, which I didn't realize, to Blake Ferguson. Now, Harrison Phillips is a player rep, I believe, for the NFLPA, right? Mm-hmm. He said, we do not get 30 to 35K to be in Madden. NFL PA, P, uh, Player Inc. is responsible for all our licensing, corporate partners, player services, 
We have over 43 companies, commercial agreements, licensing deals that go into that number. Madden isn't, isn't even the bigger piece of the pie, and he ends up by saying, if you have a problem with how this is happening, you mm-hmm. can reach out to your player director to learn more. So there even seems to be, the point here to me is, this isn't Blake Ferguson and Harrison Phillips beefing, not at all. It's It seems yep. to me a lot of confusion, even amongst... These guys, how much they're getting, how much they're not getting, where it goes, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, which I think is understandable, too, because even as uh, as Harrison Phillips points out, that it's kind of all almost like in one lump sum, almost like the PA kind of puts it all, you right. know, a bunch of different things together into one, and it might be hard to figure out like how much of that is Madden in particular. Um, he doesn't say that it's as low as $600, though. Right, like he just no, says, right. it's not the biggest piece of the pie. He's not saying that of the thirty to thirty-five thousand, it's only six hundred, because. And I know there are more players in the college football ranks, and reading more about this yesterday at a couple of different places, I, I almost want to double down on like how unfair. And, and even if what Blake Ferguson is saying is off on how much Madden players get, there was a quote from the. College Football Players Association vice president that said that he, it was disclosed to him that there was a, there were checks of about seventeen thousand that were paid out to NFL players, and one player in particular got twenty eight thousand. So maybe in Madden, it's you know it depends on who you are, right? Like if you're a bigger name, maybe you get more than someone else. I don't know how that works, but all I know is six hundred dollars per player. For a game that's prob that was projected to sell about a billion dollars, is less than one percent, and I I, ca- I cannot get to a place where I feel like the players aren't getting ripped off for six hundred dollars right. on a free copy of the game. Feels to me like they're lowballing them for sure. I think the question comes into me. Okay, so if you are, um, I don't know, Jaden Daniels, right? Yeah. He says, okay, I, I'm worth more than six hundred to be in this game. Mm-hmm. Like, does he have the opportunity now due to NIL rules, name, image, likeness, to say, well, no, you got to pay me more to be in this game. Yep. Now, as you and Jeremy kind of debated the other day, well, they can make a facsimile of Jaden Daniels. But that's not really the same guy. And then you could also welcoming into a lawsuit, which started with the O'Bannons in the first place. Right. With all of this. And there was this. This happened one year ago, by the way. This all happened mm-hmm. one year ago where the the EA Sports offered... Um, or I should I say offered, or they were planning on an opt-in for players that would have been $500 per player. So in one year, by the way, they've upped their offer by basically $100 per player. And a year ago, it all kind of got nixed because they were worried about potential litigation, which to me would be like, if players don't opt-in, or a lot of players don't opt-in, then you're kind of left with, well... Then I'm just going to have users creating these people, but are you even safe from, you know, the mm-hmm. players not taking you to court over that? Because you're allowing them to do that. You know, like it's not EA creating Jaden Daniels, but if EA has as a part of the game, okay, you as the user can go in and create Jaden Daniels. Well, if I'm Jaden Daniels, it's, well, you're still allowing them to make me in the video game. That's, that's still on you. You got to pay right. me for that. And that, I think, is why the game hasn't come out yet. And maybe I'm taking too cynical of an approach of this, because I'm excited about the video game, too. I was over always Madden over NCAA football. But 
I see these trailers and this, these news drops and leaks about how Kirk Herbstreet's going to be in the game and Chris Fowler is going to be in the game. And to me, again, maybe too cynical, what I think it is is EA Sports is trying to pressure players to take the deal because they're getting everybody excited about the video game and they're almost pinning the players in a corner where if they all get together and say, well, $600 is nothing for us, well, everyone else is excited about the video game and now they're going to villainize the players. Yeah, and a lot of this ties into the story yesterday. I told you that college coaches are looking to leave to go to the NFL because there's just such a wild, wild west, right? Mm -hmm. And I will tell you, Joe, I have talked to people, literally, who are in the weeds of this thing, of how how many, how much money is being spent on some of these kids to go in the portal from one school to another. I have literally heard stories of players being offered half a million dollars by one school, but taking another deal that's worth more to go to another school in the portal, which is legal now, the way they can do it. Right. And how they've also, I've also heard stories for sure, and I know people who've been promised things at schools and didn't get them. This is the same kind of thing to me, which is there's so much misinformation out there. That's, yeah. they've opened the door yeah. to, we're not putting the, we're not putting the, the, the toothpaste back in the tube, right? We know that these, they're going to get paid and that's all, that's great. There's so much information out there and people getting lied to and they don't know what's... And I feel bad for the kids here because... I say kids, right? These college mm -hmm. athletes, student athletes. I feel bad, Joe, because I don't think they have the right information or the people presenting them in the information the correct way. Right, because there's no... Because it's, it's not even... Like this this College Football Players Association I referenced uh, a minute ago, Like they're not a union. They, I don't think legally they can be because college football players are still... Still not. I, I, I say still because I think one day they might you know, legally be called this. They're not employees. So you can't have a union, I don't think, without well, them being real employees, right? That may be changing. There was a, mm, there's a case at a school. Is, uh, I don't want to say is there's it Northwestern. One, I'm not sure. There's somewhere where there's this, this is being happened. This is see, happening now. Even that contributes th to this. This is opening it up. Yeah, even that contributes. Like, we're kind of in the middle, right? Right? Like, we're in, like, gr this is growing pains of... Yes. You know, we're in the middle of, well, they're not really fully amateurs anymore, but they're not professionals either. We're still trying to figure all that out. So, I think yep. it, it's murky. Murky is just the right way to put it, like with all of this. And that's why I'm not 100% believing that the game's going to come out. I think there's still so much of this legal nonsense. And when if I start, if you, if I read a report that like, okay, hey, 90% of the players have opted in, then I'll believe that it's, that it's actually going to come out. Until I see that, I'm still going to be skeptical that the video game's actually going to hit the shelves. And just to clarify what I just said, here it is. It's Dartmouth. So Dartmouth. recently, okay. recently, Dartmouth basketball players by a court were declared employees, and they are allowed to hold union elections. Okay, that's that sounds big. That's yes. <laughs> that sounds that sounds pretty big. There's man, there's a lot of this going on. There's um, yep. Not to get too into the weeds on this either, but there's a class action suit in I think New York on um, the major junior hockey system, like the CHL, the Canadian Hockey League, the OHL, um, basically saying that it violates U.S. antitrust laws because like, they get paid like $500 a month. Like It's kind of like it's just not, you know, it's below minimum wage. Um, mm -hmm. So there's, there's so much of that going on with minor levels of sports right now.
Anyways, 8030550. I said I had one other business sportsy related thing that I wanted to get to. There is a team in the NHL that there was a slight suggestion that relocation could be on the table, and it's not a team I would have spent any time thinking about for that. And I'll have mm-hmm. that for you in Extendo Sports. And I want to relate it to a thought about the Sabres. Not not to, you know, not to point and think they're going to relocate or anything, but just I want to make a comparison there. So that's coming back. We've got the Extra Point Show coming up with Zach and Josh at 10 o'clock. It's Jeremy and Joe. Jeremy is off today. He'll be back on Tuesday. Me and Sal will finish things off. Coming back here on WGR. Breaking sports news airs first here. Guaranteed. WGR Sports Radio 550. 2020 Sports. Extendo Sports. All right, so in Extendo Sports, you're familiar with the, uh, what, 10 to 15 year storyline of will the Coyotes stay in Arizona? Yeah. Which is still ongoing, yes. by the way, as they look for another yes. arena. That might mm-hmm. be coming to an end, by the way. Like, that actually, like, they're, they're exhausting all options. Bettman's talking about it now. Like, you know, they might. Bettman is talking like they'll move Arizona to Salt Lake City and he'll want to someday go back to Arizona. That's to me how Batman sounds right now. But that's not the team that there are, I don't even want to say relocation rumors, but there's relocation talk last night and this morning. Imagine, because we, we can relate to the attendance part of this. I don't think we can relate to questions about long-term sustainability. I will pre-emphasis all of this with Gary Bettman made, like, the best thing to, that I, my favorite thing he's ever done as commissioner, that dude made a multi-year commitment to keep the Sabres in Buffalo when he didn't have to. Right. He could have let them go to Portland. There was an owner in quest there. There were, there were, they took over, you know, control of the team. He did not have to keep the team in Buffalo. He could have worked to get it out of Buffalo, but he didn't. And I will believe as long as he's commissioner, he will not let the Sabres even have a whiff of leaving. So I want to start with that. I don't think... That's how he is with Winnipeg. I've got a couple of things on the Winnipeg Jets over the last 12 hours who are also dealing with attendance problems, like big attendance problems, which is weird because they're good. Like they're in a playoff spot. Chris Johnston on Insider Trading last night said the NHL is monitoring the situation in Winnipeg. They've seen an above 30% drop in the last three years with their ticket base. Gary Bettman will be in Winnipeg on Tuesday to meet with the team's important corporate sponsors. Then this morning, Johnston at The Athletic has more details. He's got quotes from Mark Chipman, who is the chairman of the Winnipeg Jets, who is being quoted as saying that like the, the, here's the title of the story. Winnipeg Jets ownership sounds the alarm on attendance. Quote, not going to work over the long haul. Chipman says, it's difficult to imagine another member of the NHL's Board of Governors rolling up their sleeves to this degree, but failure to turn the situation around could threaten the 2.0 version of the Jets' ability to remain healthy and competitive in the long term. I mean, those are those are alarm bells, are they not, if you're a Winnipeg Jets fan? Oh my gosh, yes. No like, doubt about we it. We would be saying it right there. Again, like I, I don't think there's ever a day we'll hear stuff like this on the Sabres, but let's just play the hypothetical. If we woke up this morning and we had those two stories, we we would be would we not be in panic mode? Oh yeah, for sure. Hundred percent. 
And I mean, there's always a series of steps. Things have to happen, and it's just like kind of, you know, this kind of thing happened. If people remember back in the late '90s with the suites and Ralph Wilson Stadium, uh, Rich Stadium at the time, and then you know, kind of uh, Ralph Wilson was talking like this. They signed Doug Flutie. They sell the suites. Okay, everything works out. But it's the kind of same kind of shot over the bow to the fans of you better start doing this, or mm-hmm. we're gonna have to look at other alternatives. Um, yeah, no doubt about that. So. Yeah, I agree with that. It is, as you say, the 2.0 version, which is wild because the other team we just talked about, Phoenix, the Phoenix Coyotes used to be the Winnipeg Jets. <laughs> the Jets <laughs> right. were the were the, the when I, you know I grew up watching you know Dale Howard Chuck and the Jets before he gets traded to the Sabers and they were this you know NHL franchise, great fan support and just a team you always kind of knew they were in the league and then they move late 90s to Phoenix. They become the Phoenix Coyotes. Now they're the Arizona Coyotes. Yep. And then the Atlanta Thrashers become a team, and then they move to Winnipeg. So the Winnipeg Jets now, their franchise history is Atlanta. That's where they started. Yep. The Coyotes' franchise history is Winnipeg. That's where they started. Right. Man, it's just, it's. Cr- I mean, they are, they're in this story. Like, there's a quote from Gary. Yeah. There's a quote from Gary Bettman the day they introduced the team back to Winnipeg that said, it isn't going to work well unless the building is sold out every night. Like, Bettman wow. told Winnipeg the day they got the team back, you guys got to sell out the building every night. They have a smaller building. The NHL yeah. is the most gate-driven league in the world, or in the, the country, I should say. Everything else is more about TV. And if you look at their average capacity, I'm going to take the Coyotes out of this because they, um, obviously they have, you know, a college rink. They're dead last in the league in attendance by 2,000. This is a league. Wait, 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 hold on. Sorry. Those are not updated. I want to get the right ones. But I know they're below Buffalo. And Mm -hmm. I think it's pretty stark given that, like, the Sabres fans have every right to not show up. The team's on a 13-year playoff drought. Winnipeg is in second place. <laughs> like, that's the thing, right? Like, that's what makes it weird. I think that's what makes it terrifying in wi- the situation in Winnipeg. Because here, you know what would happen. If they were in second place, it would be a sellout every single night. There'd be no questions asked. 19,000. Winnipeg only holds 15,000 in the first place, and they're not filling it up. That's that's a big problem, I think. So. All right, so... Do they go back to Atlanta? By the way, they were in Atlanta for 11 years. They've been in Winnipeg for 13. Like, just make an agreement. Like, every uh, 10 to 15 <laughs> years, you just switch cities. Why don't they, uh, why don't they, why don't they swap? Why don't they uh, co-host? Right. Yeah, hey, there you go. We're going to get 20 games a year. You're going to get 20 games a year. Yeah, we're gonna be the, there you go. They're going to be the Winnipeg, the Atlanta Peg Jets. I don't know. <laughs> Atlanta, though, it is, man, there are so many rumors about Atlanta. I would bet they're the yep. favorites. That would be wild. Imagine they just go right back to Atlanta. But I hope not. I like, the, I like the Winnipeg Jets. I want them to I exist in the league. So. I do, too. So that's going on. All right. What do you got planned this weekend? Um, I am getting ready to head to the Combine on Monday. So we'll be there all week. Next week, uh, you know, Monday through Thursday, we're going to have all the coverage for you. We should probably tell everybody about that, right? Uh, hold on. Let me coverage sure. of the NFL Combine on WGR. Sales heading down there. Brought to you by Awaken 180 Weight Loss. Fast, sustainable weight loss and free support for life. Awaken180WeightLoss.com. And by Outlet Liquor. When you need to stock up, it's the place to buy a case. What's your outlet? Yeah, so you asked what's going on this weekend, though. But Getting we still ready? got... Uh, 
Got a little travel baseball practice, got some hockey practice, uh, things like that going on. And um, right. yeah, then Monday morning, I'll be on my way to the Combine. And I'll join you guys in the morning on Monday on my way before I leave there. And then once I get there, just so everybody knows, we are looking at Schedule 2, I believe, have Sean McDermott. Sean McDermott is going to talk to the local media Monday afternoon and then Brandon Bean Tuesday afternoon, just so everybody can kind of be aware of that. All right. Stay tuned. Monday, the Combine. Coaches, GMs, rumors. Next week will be fun. All right. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned. Zach and Josh with the Extra Point Show on the way next. Have a good weekend. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.